this Richard Stroker guy too. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know what? Sorry, about sorry, that? sorry, sorry, sorry. I swear up. to God, that's the for guy's several name. days. I thought it was Richard Spencer. Who would put it? Same, same, same. That, that was actually like, like w- the first time I read a tweet, like if somebody sent me like a screenshot of the tweet or something, I was like, <laughs> Richard Spencer made it funny. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait. That's, yeah, that's the, account, the account is legitimately Richard. The, the guy's name is Richard Stroker. Yeah. And and this is, put this guy together. also got like, ban- yeah, I know. D- okay. Dick okay. Stroker. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Just making, and that's a meme account, obviously, right? I think it might be his real name. No. I'm not sure. Impossible. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Human Reaction, your weekly source for independent commentary on news, politics, and culture, where it's always our mission to arm you with the tools you need to cut through media misdirection and resist the mononarrative. David, what are we talking about today? This week, God dropped the ultimate Uno reversal card. The internet is now obsessed with Jewish tunnels. (laughs) Yes. Number two, Iowa caucuses are next week. Uh, Chris Christie is out. Vivek wasn't invited to the establishment debate party. Uh, So he hung out with the internet instead with the Timcast. And Trump does CNN to defend his record. Third, your grandpa can now buy Bitcoin. Thank to Gary Gensler, who is not a Batman villain. He is the SEC chairman. You might think he was, though. Uh, Biden decides to drop bombs on Yemen without congressional approval. This is either continuing the war on terror, policing the world, or bombing uh, the bombing of Israel and the conflict in Israel has now turned into a regional war, depending on your lens. Obama, Obama, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and while you're here... Um, like, comment, and subscribe. We just hit 600 on YouTube or a bunch of other Woo! whatever the numbers are elsewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> YouTube's just the one that's public, so I, I always see that one, right? Yeah. So, and how, yeah, wherever you're, wherever you're following us, follow us there, comment, like, subscribe, share it with your friends. Um, we're getting a lot of comments on everything that we do. I get them all, like, every week, so... Thanks, everybody. It makes we me have feel good. one epic troll on TikTok, and he is hilarious. What's his name? Yeah, Let's I, call put him out. The, I put him in the Discord. I, I, know, I know you did. Let's I call him out. I can't out. remember what it is. But Let's this guy, not call him out. We're going to call him out. He's so, he's so great. Uh, he, well, he is hilarious. We'll, we'll, we'll leave him in I never know now. where he's going to wind up on his opinions. Anyways, so Jewish tunnels. Um, God, this is just a good one. All right. So what, what's the story here? They're basically, okay. there were tunnels being dug by apparently a bunch of international exchange students who are all Jewish. Well, this is a particular Jewish like sect that isn't Hasidic. It's actually, they don't, them and the Hasidics don't like each other. In fact, this guy, the the leader of this group has like police protection because of the death threats, because there's like a religious conflict going on between the Hasidics and these guys. And they have this court process and they can't get into this part of the building that they no longer can get access to. So they dug a tunnel. This is their motivation. They say they dug a tunnel underneath to get access to another spot without having to go outside and to get access to what they felt like was their old sanctuary to expand their I, current sanctuary. I guess I like my, my uh, I went full left curve on this and just entirely followed the memes on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The memes on the, on X were hilarious about this. The oh, New York yeah. post article does make it clear, but it's still very confusing exactly what the motive is. And, it, and at least a part of this is because it's, not everyone is like very fluent in English that's talking about this, right? And then there's, so there's a lot of like, you watch the interviews of people and you're not really sure. And there's a lot of conflicting reports. So it's too early to say, but that said, it was the internet took this and went absolutely wild with it. 
well it's been hilarious to watch yeah and we we have this guy here um richard stroker who has a podcast show on he's on like the blaze and fox or something (laughs) funny name great name great name this guy stroker this so so this this specific story came across my radar last night uh shared to me by my roommate here uh okay so this guy richard stroker posted some tweets as far back as november 7th 2023 last year months ago saying quote there are jews living under my apartment i hear them it's like they're digging or something for the record i live at ground level and we do not have a basement (laughs) this is november 7th 2023 and then another tweet i swear i keep hearing yiddish under the floor in my new york apartment i live at ground level and we have no basement december 11th 2023 and as of well just <laughs> january 8th he posts these tweets i am not crazy and the best one some of you owe me an apology <laughs> 2.5 million views on that on that on that tweet this poor guy wow. was probably getting called a lot of names for you know being anti-semitic and stuff <laughs> it's, right it's, it's saying it's like oh any- are the jews here with us right now richard <laughs> okay <laughs> so the funny thing is i thought this was richard spencer Oh, when, when oh. I first saw because who like, lives I, I in Whitefish? It. But I was like, did he at one point live in New York? I didn't look at it that closely. Who is, if for those that don't know, like a big neo-Nazi character? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a terrible racist. God. Anyways, he's exactly the sort of guy who would have paranoid delusions about Jews <laughs> living beneath him. And then and then this story comes out. And he's like, you all owe me an apology. <laughs> I told you there was Yiddish under the basement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank God it's Man. Richard Stroker, not Richard. Great name. Great name. Good old Just Dick Stroker. Great name. So the, um, the other part of this that I have questions about, I really want to know if his Twitter feed ever addresses this, is does he live in this area or is this just a more common phenomena that we're talking about here? This yeah, is like, the strange is thing. Is he like, somewhere else? In New York, and there are more tunnels. More tunnels. That's, that's like, like, are, are they just tunneling everywhere? Like, is there like an underground city going on right here? They're like, they're like mole people. <laughs> it's like the mole people in Vegas, right? Yeah. Like, what, what's oh, happening man. here? What's going on here? Well, uh, what, there, there's been so much uh, conspiracy around this on Twitter. It's been really interesting to to see it all, and we won't go into all of it. Like, just go, just go type Jewish tunnels into Twitter and just have fun. <laughs> just have fun, okay? Don't but, take any of it too seriously, guys. Don't. I mean, true. Come on now, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who this fits their books, and they've been waiting for an excuse to talk about tunnels. Well, and also people, like doing things in tunnels, right? I mean, well, there's also obviously been a lot with the Epstein files and all this stuff, and so I think we have like human trafficking include, on the brain. Which and, include airplanes, not tunnels. The, the exact opposite of tunnel is an airplane. I'm just going to make that point. I, I, right? I, that is, I, that I, is I, fair. <laughs> Doesn't mean. Just, that human trafficking is precluded from tunnels. In fact, tunnels have been right. obviously used and uh, for a long time. That said, there's that. no evidence of human trafficking in this case, except for that one really grimy mattress. But you that don't know got what thrown that out of been. there. Someone could have a, that, that could have that could have been a million. Things. I'm not saying it was, but that was weird to see. Someone had a bloody nose. It could have been a million different things. The reason that happened. That is that is not a good faith argument. Did you see the size of the stain on that mattress? That is not a bloody nose, sir. Oh, I don't if know. If that person had a bloody nose, he, they bled out he, of their face. Or he cut themselves. I don't know. I Who knows? It's hard to say. What was it doing it in there? It could have been ketchup. You don't know. 
What is ketchup doing on a mattress the in a tunnel? could have been eating a hot dog. You could have been doing it straight up. <laughs> Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. Mitt this Romney's is where, down there just, just This is where Chris Christie and Mitt Romney go to eat, <laughs> eat hot dogs in secret. We've oh, solved man. the mystery. No, I just, I'm just saying we don't know. It's completely circumstantial. It, people are leaping to a lot of conclusions. Be very careful. What, what, wasn't, there, wasn't there some stuff about police reports and like some rape gang that was going on over there? Rape gang? I, I saw, I did see talking about this. Oh, no, I haven't. Um, again, most of my knowledge of this is from the memes. Yeah. I just, I have seen like there were things about police reports well, about I mean, that. So, so, so like it, it's one of those, it's one of those like composition fallacy things. So like you'll, they'll, some, somebody will in a bath faith actor will take a story like this and they'll be like, Oh yeah. But this one time a Jewish guy who was a, who was Hasidic was accused of rape. And therefore this was, you know, that it's a terrible argument. That's not how it works. Right. You got to actually have material evidence that connects that person to this area in order to this be related to that. For sure. Uh, this could be totally two unrelated people. That said, there's also been a ton of people who aren't reconciling that these are actually two different sects. Also, yes, they have the same hat and they look similar and they both speak Yiddish, but they're not the same group. And all of so, you that are confusing them are racists. No, Congratulations. I'm, I'm saying I don't actually don't 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 know that his <laughs> like the doctrinal differences. I'm just saying that, you know, they're kind of like loop, lumping them all together. Right. And if you do that, you're racist. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's bigotry in that if you're just oh, if you're just like intentionally like ignoring the differences and the and, and additionally if you were set out like I know there are tunnels where people are being trafficked because you know QAnon told me so and then this feeds into that then then you're not doing very careful thinking but That's it's also it's also a thing where it could be possible yeah yeah <laughs> like, it could be yeah it could be possible could be. it is possible. but right right now it's still in the could be possible realm yes right? but david is certain that it is a thing and it is human trafficking all right next subject <laughs> let's right. go so speak also speaking of human trafficking we have the presidential campaigns going on in Iowa. <laughs> just trafficking news reporters around oh man that's that's um, an interesting way to frame that uh <laughs> iowa caucus is in january 15th on monday um and we'll see kind of where the GOP lands here. Iowa caucus is a very important event. Um, right before the, the caucus, though, we have Chris Christie, who dropped out of the race. Oh, uh, I don't have how a... We, uh, how do we feel about that, gentlemen? Um, I am overjoyed. That's, that's the best um, one again. He did give out this speech where he was talking about how I am the only man willing to tell you the truth about Donald Trump. Um, and then right after that speech, he was caught on a hot mic. <laughs> so let's uh play that hot mic situation here uh captured by ap like that if, yeah if that's what you get yeah yeah i mean look she spent 68 million so far just on tv spent Speaking 68 million so far 59 million by desantis and we spent 12 i mean who's punching above their weight and who's getting a return on their investment you know and she's gonna get smoked and you and i both know it she's not up to this she hasn't even and she's still 20 points behind Trump in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And he's, gonna, he's still going to carry out, right? Yes. Always. I, t- you know, I talked to De- DeSantis called me, petrified that I would. He's probably getting out of Iowa. And I, I think that's really unfortunate that either the hut might cut off or the AP decided not to release more. Yeah. I'm petrified that what? Yeah. Well, I, my theory Obviously, this is speculation, so take it with a grain of salt. My theory is that the, what they're worried about is just splitting the anti-Trump vote too much, right? And so DeSantis I probably called him and said, I would really like to get you that race so that I can have this opportunity to actually go head-to-head uh, against Haley and actually get co- coalesce the Trump coalition, the anti-Trump coalition. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, so many things to say about that. First of all, I don't think Chris should be making 
jokes about punching above his weight. <laughs> Additionally, I just it's a terrible argument. You're dropping out of the race right now, bro. It wasn't a good return on investment. In fact, it was a giant waste of money. Uh, yeah, it was because $12 you million never had flushed. a chance. But you did get paid, and a lot of vendors got paid very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I, that's the little like the little secret of presidential politics is most of the reason these people are running is to funnel money into the vendors which are like all the buddies and the and the it's like there's like a whole uh, industrial complex that exists here within politics right vendors for what exactly your uh, mail vendor yeah your, yeah the people doing the mail advertising uh your data programs that you're using for all your grassroots activities media all, all partners stuff, right? yeah. yeah and it can be hilariously in, like um incestuous mm-hmm. yeah the amount of people who are former campaign staffers who are like married to somebody who's a mail vendor and they direct the money that way. Oh man, it's, it's everywhere in politics. Also one of the reasons why I I think a lot of campaigning doesn't innovate very much is because it's just all these people doing the same things over and over again, just making a buck. Mm. Um, And then you end up having these like newcomer candidates that are, uh, there's a lot more, value for your dollar spent um on people like say trump or vivek or rfk or something like that because they're not doing the traditional methods because they're not in the click mm-hmm. of where all the normal do- donor dollars are going mm-hmm. right wow. there's also like you you if you are connected that way and you're the mail vendor the tv vendor you're like well why would you spend money on digital i mean obviously all the best mail has this advantage and this so it's like the here, pitching here, process here's our here, here's our data, data on our on our in our uh, poly sci graphs that suggest that this is the way that you're supposed to yeah. spend all your donor dollars spend right. all your money on mail and, and, and then they filter that data through academia and everybody gets trained up in that and it's the same thing that you see right right it's a giant scam it's a scam it's a scam yeah. um interesting so uh what did he think desantis was petrified about well, I just I think about the anti-Trump vote not com- coalescing together. Uh, or yeah. could it could it be that he thinks he's petrified that DeSantis uh, or that Christie would endorse Nikki instead of him? Ooh, that could be upon, upon dropping out. Th- they they have been hashing it out a lot on Twitter. Like the the two sides are very antithetical to each other, which makes sense because they're both like it's either you're voting for Trump or Vivek or you're voting for DeSantis or Haley, right? Right. And so if, if, if they need to make some sort of a splash and they know they're not going to win Iowa, but they can send a signal being like, we're going to get them. Like mm-hmm. we got all the support behind us and we're, we're going to move in big to Super Tuesday and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So like there's the optic situation of like, yeah, we all know Trump's the leader, but it's not actually it's not as actually as clear cut as as everyone thinks it is. Like, yeah. That's what they need to have. But if they're splitting all the vote and everybody's just getting like two percent. Right. It, changes things yeah it's like oh yeah obviously trump's the guy right how has vivek been innovating in iowa it seems like i've been seeing his face everywhere and obviously a friend of the show Henri pellerin editor and founder of libertyportal.com went to iowa got to ask him some questions got to be a part of the you know the hq situation which seemed really cool definitely check him out on twitter for that stuff how do you guys think vivek is going to do with all of the events and stuff he's been hosting well i've been noticing he's getting a lot of in big endorsements in Iowa. There's a lot of like big state legislators and, and also uh, like congressmen and things like that, that are, that are uh, um, supporting him. He's also just the most on the ground. Um, my understanding is he's done more events in Iowa than every other candidate combined. The last number I heard him say was uh, 390 events in Iowa. I've watched some, some things from those events. Like he's, he's 
putting he's has a live feed of every single one of those events and they seem very positive very packed um i i could see this potential of there being some sort of an upset um i don't think he's going to beat trump or anything but like i think the polling is suggesting that he's going to do a lot worse than he actually is i think he's energizing a lot of non-traditional voters to come out and caucus there's there's probably going to be a lot of first-time caucus uh, people there uh which was the same case with Trump back in the day. There was a lot of first-time caucus goers. So right. for those of us that aren't savvy with this stuff, what the hell is a caucus and why is it different than a primary? So a caucus is like a party meeting. So it's more like a central committee meeting that might happen. Um, so in a primary, everyone goes and votes at a ballot and it's kind of outside the party's control. While a caucus is more like you get together and you caucus together to come up with a solution for your group. Uh, and you basically take a vote within that group, and then that then goes forward. So you'll have all these separate caucuses going on. Caucus I? Cock I. Cock I? No, caucuses. <laughs> oh, um, okay. And, 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 and basically... Cocktopi. Cocktopi. Sorry. There are 1,657 caucus sites this year how many 1657 okay so these occur in communities all around iowa and within one caucus site people will get into small groups mm-hmm. and they will sort of like debate and who, and, who they want to be the party selection and then that group will have to coalesce mm-hmm. a vote of some kind and that group will then say our group votes that it should be donald trump or yeah, whoever right and they pass that in to someone and then those all get counted mm-hmm. and then whoever that's you know, who has wins. the most is who wins. Right. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a little bit different than a pure, you know, democracy, right? It's more like a staged democracy. You got micro, almost more like a federation. Right. Like little, little states that get to, you know, vote for their, their elector, if you will. Right. It's more who, communitarian. What are the advantages to this process over a primary? Is, are there any or well, why do states choose to do that versus a primary? Well, it's more, it's more debate. Right. And more like people get together and actually say for our community, who's best. Right. That's it's a very different, like it's less individualistic. It's more group orientated in a way. Um, I've heard it explained that, you know, it's kind of like a traditional process that made a lot of sense back in the day. And, you know, more traditional communities like to hold on to that process. Interesting. You know, if you look at states that were formed in, you know, when mail was much more abundant and readily available in the progressive era, that they're much more likely to be, you know, not as communitarian in this way. Right. Because you can just mail it in directly or go and vote and aggregate the votes within a day. Yeah. Being the, being the first state and like the caucus state, I think is a very embedded thing in political culture there too, that if you're outside of Iowa, it's just like, what is going like, cause we're all used to in other States. It's just like, we see the billboards, we see the yard signs, we see the stuff and we're just, and then we are, we're following name ID. There's like a culture that is embedded within Iowa voters, not, not across all of Iowa, but like, you know, the people that are very politically engaged, whereas like, this is the thing we do. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. it's their kind of claim to fame within the political yeah. process that they're first and they, they run it a certain way. And that's, well, and it is important. cool. Cause like there is a, there is kind of a symbolic thing there too, of you have all of these candidates coming in and doing these massive town halls and they have to, because you need to get to know the, the, 
the people embedded with that hyperculture uh, that are the people that are going to be going to a caucus, you have to get to know them. Mm. And th- there is kind of something that is almost like a humanization of the candidate there. So yeah. like the, the candidates are all going to the fairs. They're eating on the hot dogs at the fair and stuff. Oh, Mitt Romney. You get my favorite corn dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can find. yeah. And there, it's also like a, it's a Midwest, you know, agricultural state. It's not a place that you would otherwise spend a lot of time in. If it was just everyone was voting on the same day, you'd spend all your time in the large states. Right. So this process that is so geared around kind of getting to know the candidates could play well for a candidate like Vivek, who is spending so much time doing all these events, getting to know people. It's it's more possible that those people that have showed up to his events perhaps could go to their caucus and be more outspoken because they heard this guy speak and maybe have a little more sway and a little more influence over other voters directly in the process, as opposed to a primary state, perhaps where they're just going to go and vote the way they're going to vote, but they might not have the opportunity to talk to other voters immediately about it, you know, proximate to voting day. Right. Right. I think a lot of, I think caucusers too, people that are super politically engaged would enjoy Vivek's style. Like if you see him on live, cause he's not as very, he's not as rehearsed. Like he has his lines that you hear all the time, yeah. but when he's doing say what he did uh, a couple days ago on having Tim cast live on stage uh, um, with Candace Owens, you can like the audience can kind of watch him think through ideas and take questions too. And I think, I think, the general person in that culture would probably appreciate that quite a bit yeah. instead of just getting the candle. Cause like you have the Nikki Haley moment where they were they She was asked about the civil war and she's kind of like, what do you want me to say about slavery? Right? Yeah. She, <laughs> was, she was asked, uh, what, what was the cause of the civil war? Right. And, and she kind of like froze and didn't have an answer. It was sort of a, an additional like three provinces moment. <laughs> well, when she, she also, she also straight up asked, what do you want me to say about slavery? Yeah, Like, what do you want me yeah, to which, say? Which was like a weird, like, there's like a weird brain personality thing there that I think is like she's waiting to she's waiting to be a vessel that is filled with ideas, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> from, from the people around her. Yes, where where you end up having somebody like Vivek or or an RFK on the on the Democratic side, even though he's running as an independent, who's much more just like thinking through the ideas as he goes. Like I I watched a video last night of Vivek. Um, there's a big guy, um, Mike Benz, is that his name? He's yeah. a big. Uh, um, on the censorship industrial complex uh, fighting against it. He's a big kind of uh, articulate voice on that where he was driving Vivek, I think to his next event and just interviewing him in the car ride. And you, wa- you could watch Vivek thinking through ideas in real time about really high level issues about what to do about censorship. Mm. And, and he'd even be like, man, I, I never even really thought about it that way. And he keeps going. Right. Um, I, I think that somebody that's really politically engaged and is really concerned about where the country's heading, they look at that and they're like, oh yeah, that's kind of, nice this yeah. guy can grapple with real yeah. ideas yeah. in real time and make some conclusions that said i was very christian and very boomer so like, so the hindu thing yeah and i've seen a lot of questions a raised lot of about, questions that. about that so yeah. we'll see how he does yeah. it's a very interesting question i mean he did uh, obviously so what we had was chris christie dropped out um we do have trump's response to that do we want to see how trump responded to uh chris christie dropping out of the race yeah sure now you know chris christie was uh in and uh, he got a hot mic I heard about. I thought actually the bigger story wasn't the fact that he dropped out. Nobody cared too much about that, but Savage. he had a hot mic where <laughs> he was <laughs> talking to somebody about uh, the weather and he happened to say that she doesn't have what it takes. She'll be creamed in the in the election. And I mean, I know her very well and I happen to believe that Chris Christie's right. That's one of the few things he's been right about, actually. Ooh. So you don't think it changes the dynamic much? 
I don't know if it does or not. Look, we're winning uh, tremendously here. We're, I think we're 20, 24 points up. I brought some polls if you want to see them, you know, just in case. <laughs> but I think we're 24, 25 points up. But New Hampshire is interesting. It's a great place, a great state, unbelievable people. But uh, they allow independents and Democrats to vote in the Republican primary. You say, what's that all about? So uh, it's a little bit false in that regard. But even with that, I think we'll win substantially. So, uh, yeah, what, what he's referring to is that... Um uh, New Hampshire is an open primary state, which would mean that you can choose. You, you can't vote in every party's primary, but you can vote in whatever one you choose to. Mm, yeah, I see. That's so, interesting. Unlike yeah. the caucuses where you got to be a registered Republican to go caucus. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and a lot of a lot of states, you choose your party affiliation prior. Like like you are a registered Democrat, a registered Republican. Right. Some states you don't register. Right. Um, and you just decide on the moment of the primaries. <laughs> I'm going to vote Democrat this time, right? Yep. Which has a lot of crossover votes and people play that tactically sometimes. So I don't he, know how worthwhile that is though. He's kind of setting himself up for, well, if it, New Hampshire doesn't go well, then I'm going to be able to write it off. But New Hampshire is a substantial like dipstick too, of where a lot of the public is at on the thing. So interesting. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think he's right. You know, Chris Christie kind of dropped out and there wasn't very much there, there, right? And then, uh, but the hot mic moment really did catch on and was kind of the more major news story. Vivek actually predicts that out of that, that it's going to be, you know, after probably Iowa, when Vivek overperforms is his theory is that there's going to be, um, Haley or DeSantis is going to be one of the others VP, depending on how it checks out to really try to coalesce that anti-Trump vote. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, and we, we actually have a clip of that if we want to watch it. He, he's doing one of his like talk to the camera moments where he's just talking about that exact um, thing. With Do we want to cover that? Let's check it out. The system wants to narrow this down to a two-horse race between Donald Trump and a puppet who they can control. And it has become increasingly clear that puppet is not a Democrat. It's not even Gavin Newsom. It's Nikki Haley. It's in our own party. Well, today, one more step in that plot unfolds. Chris Christie drops out. Next step, I'm going to make a prediction. You're actually going to see Ron DeSantis join Nikki Haley's ticket. He's going to be her VP. The whole game, it's hiding in plain sight. Whatever it takes. And this system will stop at nothing. And I mean nothing. To eliminate Donald Trump from contention. It's disgusting. But the same people who have said they're not going to actually take a principled stand against Trump's removal from the ballot. Haley and DeSantis are both in that category. Do the math, people. That's next up. Ron DeSantis is after Iowa. Everybody, including Chris Christie, apparently got a phone call from Ron DeSantis. Panicked was the word that Chris Christie used. This is the way the plot's going. Ron may not know this. Ron DeSantis may not know this. But that's what his donors are going to make him do. That's what's coming next. Ron DeSantis will become Nikki's VP, whether or not Ron knows it. It's not really his choice. He's not the one in charge of that decision. And then the plot continues. We have to open our eyes and not fall into their trap. Our America First agenda cannot end. Our movement cannot end with Donald Trump when they take him out from contention. And if you think this system is going to even let this man get anywhere near the White House, we need to open our eyes. We need to do the right thing for our country. They are selling us the rope today that they're going to use to hang us tomorrow. Do not fall into the trap, people. And that's why I'm here. It's a good case. Now, uh, Haley and DeSantis had their own special little uh, CNN debate that they did separate from everybody else. Mm. Um, so uh, the Vivek, although being in the race, <laughs> uh, was not invited. I don't remember. Did, did you ever catch why Vivek wasn't there? I think he's because he's in fourth place, according to their polls. Oh, so what? 
Uh, Why wouldn't you have them? Because they're narrowing it down. I, th- I think that's the argument. I, I don't mean, think they like how they treated their anchor uh, during his town hall. He kind of just, <laughs> he beat their game, and I don't think they like that very much. <laughs> John Cena. They're in this weird mode where they're like, oh, he gets clips, but he kind of embarrasses us. But <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. we... Yeah, we just don't like that he's getting views that well, don't make us look very good. And I, I would have to imagine part of the calculus of the blob in general. Like, oftentimes when we talk about they here, we're talking about there's kind of like this ethos, and they don't want this eth- that ethos does not want Vivek to do well in Iowa at all. They want it to be discouraged, so they need to make sure that he's not on the stage. I mm. would imagine. Yeah. You have yeah. to make him invisible. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is giving me serious Ron Paul vibes too. the way that they would manipulate polling around mm-hmm. Ron Paul's, you know, success or favorability, things like that happens with outsider candidates all the time. Like that, that's just a part of the game and how it works is they will completely like, remember during the Ron Paul Giuliani moment, you had all the donor class in there, um, clapping for Giuliani, but then the public polling outside says that everybody loved Ron Paul and, yeah. and then they would just erase him from like, they wouldn't even show him on the, uh, on the, uh, stats on where people stand similar to Ben Shapiro just did this. Oh, really? Ben Shapiro said, oh, Chris Christie's dropped out, meaning there's only three left. And Trump, uh, DeSantis, and Nikki, mm. right? <laughs> well, Ben Shapiro, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, do you think he that... He gets tunnel vision sometimes. You know? Sometimes he does get tunnel vision. <laughs> this is a New York tunnel joke. <laughs> Sorry about it. <laughs> I had a good question, and then you just threw me all off. <laughs> do you think that the media perception of success or lack thereof, especially as it relates to Vivek, is going to affect the way that people caucus for him? Or do you think that there is an ability for Vivek to break through with his grassroots efforts and his work on the ground through the media narrative that he's not doing well? Which one's going to triumph in this case? I don't know. I, 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 I really don't. I, I, I go back and forth personally on how captured the American public is by uh, the corporate press, like narrative manipulations and how much people have actually broken free of that. I, I'm not sure yet. Like, cause for me, I'm completely out of it. Like I don't see any of the corporate press stuff at all. Really? Um, I, I, I ban, I have every single, uh, New York uh, times reporter blocked. I have a bot that auto blocks <laughs> New York times reporters. Probably expand that to like CNN too, um, and just keep going. Right. Yeah. You still need some of it, but like, so <laughs> I, I don't know how captured just the normal person is like the average boomer who decides like the elections are decided by the suburban white boomer female, right? Like it's that demographic that matters. Karen's vote. Yeah. Karen's matter. Karen's matter. <laughs> They're not all Karen's. Karen's votes be cool. Hey, it's, it's a trope. We get it. <laughs> David, what's your take? Do you think that Vivek will be able to rise above the media narratives or, uh, or is that going to prevail? I think that the, it's, it's an open question for, uh, the question is, is how much does being the internet candidate actually help you in this year? Now we think it probably helps more than any of the year previous, but, uh, is the cable news, the alternative, the mainstream ways or the corporate ways to get your information, is that still strong enough to keep him out of, you know, being a bigger contender? And then second, he's actually running as the second choice to Donald Trump in a lot of ways. He's frames it that way himself at times and then says, hey, I'm kind of the, I'm on the escape patch. And I think that's actually the smartest way to win 
to run if you want to win and actually become president rather than just run to raise money and to increase your book sales or something. Mm. Um, and then he's getting those benefits too, but he's actually running, I think, the best way you can run and maintain a long-term presence in the party as a semi-outsider, as a you know anti-establishment candidate. As the default choice to accept the Trump crowd once Trump you know, decides not to run. Yeah, if, if Trump, for whatever reason, is disqualified from the ballot in enough states, and it comes down to the question of who's going to, are we going to let Joe Biden become president again or not? And that crowd then has to say, okay, who am I going to jump to? Who's Trump going to, you know, endorse for his votes to go to? Probably nobody. But if there's going to be somebody, it's going to be Vivek, who's mm-hmm. the only one he has anything nice to say about. Yeah. Which, yeah, and it'll also matter. It'll be curious to see the, the under 40, how much they actually turn out, like the under 40 years old. Because those are the people that Vivek really courts is millennials really and you know everybody kind of rags on millennials but millennials are turning 40 now right yeah. like like these are people that are ahead in their lives now like they have families they're actually much more politically engaged it's not like it was 10 years ago where everybody ragged on millennials yeah. um and they're all and millennials in general are very kind of against the boomer policy regime that that we've been under for a long period of time um It'll kind of depend on where they are in the turnout, I would say, because those are Vivek's real supporters. And and millennials in general, I think, are less so inclined to vote for Trump over Vivek, so where it, it's the opposite for the other generations. Right? Yeah. Gen X t- tends to be similar, right? They're more split down the internet culture. Um, millennials mean more internet culture. The male-female split's also bigger between uh, women and millennials tend to be more Democrat. Men tend to be more Republican, um, more so than previous generations. There's a whole bunch of ways that that splits depending on whether or not boomers decide not to vote for whatever reason, or if the demographic split is boomers die off that Gen X millennials are starting to take a larger part of the electorate that votes. Hmm. Now, if that changed tomorrow and people under the age of 20 started voting at a high rate, it would change our politics completely. Everything about it, right? Cause there are actual bigger nominal population, um, especially what you count uh, immigrants who can vote like people who have, um, who have gained citizenship and vote. Yeah, legal immigrants. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you get to there, then you're talking about a very different, but they vote at much lower rates. So therefore they're a lot smaller nominal part of the, and then they're also less likely to vote in caucus states because caucusing is way more time and effort in, um, busy yeah, team. You actually have to talk to people, which yeah. I know that Gen Z really doesn't like to do <laughs> as much. Well, you know, millennials do, you know, it's like the internet yeah. generation too. It is interesting too. Cause the right in general is just getting more and more on board with the idea of Vivek being the VP candidate. And, one of the things I was always thinking about is like, oh, why? I, I, I was always kind of like, eh, about Vivek being Trump's VP because, like, what does he actually gain there? Like, because you want your VP to to be somebody that gains you something. Like, otherwise, it's like it's not. If it's just the same person, it doesn't really matter. Um, but that being said, kind of like I was just saying before. Trump doesn't have the young people mm. like Vivek does, mm-hmm. but you, you end up getting kind of a co- coalescing around similar ideals, um, similar enough at least, but then you end up having both generations there. Right. And that, that, that'd be very powerful going into the general, um, assuming Vivek's wrong here and they don't. Like, that's actually another thing about Vivek is he's kind of like openly saying now, like, no, the strategy is that Trump's not Trump's not going to be allowed to run. They're going to try to prevent him from running. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's kind of like openly saying that now, which is very interesting. That was interesting. Additionally, to note, I'm not sure that Trump actually needs Vivek for the young people. He actually outperforms Biden ages 18 and 34 with 46 percent. 
Trump does. Yeah. I think there's an energizing so, factor. Like, there's also that. Yeah, the, yeah. It's it's much more, you end up having the youth energized. And and when I say youth, I'm actually saying 40 and under. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying necessarily like 30 under. I think that there's a lot of people in that 30 to 40 range that are very, and frankly, are disaffected lefties too. Oh. There's a lot of uh, lefty crossover that is coming over to, to Vivek because they, they've like now made some money and they're not just socialist Bernie bros anymore. <laughs> like, like, I'm seeing that in real time right now yeah. on my Twitter feed of like people that were diehard Bernie bros years ago, like six eight years ago that are now like yeah then i made money and i realized that socialism's stupid (laughs) (laughs) but they also still have a social circle where maybe that hasn't really completely you know set itself in and so they're still a little bit like well trump you know they don't want to commit to a trump-like figure they can't commit to a trump-like figure for those kind of social reasons of not wanting to be ostracized by their friends. I, I right? think there's something too where there's a vision that people under 40 have of the Republican Party. And so people that hit a certain age, they think of Republican as kind of the neocon Buckley Republicanism that, that came across. But now all of that's changed. And Trump has been a, a major driver in that change happening. But then you have a young guy that kind of represents like, oh, things are different. The Republican Party has changed. Just like in their eyes, the Democrat Party left them. Right. Right. And now they're like, oh, what do I, they feel lost and there might be a home for them here. Yeah. Without the baggage. Without the baggage of like, you know, for instance, it's like the, you know, I like the economics of Republicans, but like the gay marriage abortion stuff, like they they get kind of weird about that. Uh, So like there's, so that's where they flip flop and get kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you kind of tone down some of the social issues and really amp up the economic issues, I think that those people cross over. Yeah. And I think Vivek has some really compelling answers to some of those, those questions that, that people have the social issue stuff. Yeah. So we also had, uh, of course the non vague invited, uh, CNN debate where they got into immigration reform, uh, as that issue is probably going to define this election cycle. This has been one of the biggest years for illegal border crossings into the United States. Last month alone, 225,000 migrants illegally crossed the southern border. It's a record high, overwhelming the Border Patrol resources that are already stretched thin. Mayors across the country say their cities are being pushed to a breaking point. Governor DeSantis, former President Trump, famously promised to build a wall on the southern border. He obviously did not get that uh, done. You have promised to finish the job. How will you succeed where he failed? We will build a wall. We will actually have Mexico pay for it in the way that I thought Donald Trump was. We're going to charge fees on remittances that workers send to foreign countries. Billions of dollars uh, will build the wall. He also promised record deportations. Donald Trump deported fewer people than Barack Obama did when he was president. Biden's let in eight million people just in four years. They all have to go back. We have to enforce the rule of law in this country. Think about what's happening to our country. Just this week, we saw the news that a a school in Brooklyn, New York, had the kids stay home. They were not able to go to school, told you can't go get an in-person education. Why? Because they're common. The city's commandeering the school to house illegal aliens in it. Talk about putting Americans last. You're putting these kids out of an education because you can't control the border. Biden has failed in this endeavor. He has not taken care that the laws of this country be faithfully executed. Do not trust Nikki Haley with illegal immigration. That's like having the fox guard the hen house. She's on tape at the Aspen Institute. She'll say she didn't say it. She was chastising conservatives, saying it's disrespectful to illegal aliens to say that they're criminals. They're violating the law. It's disrespectful when 
when people come to this country illegally and impose burdens on our communities and run drugs into this country. That's what's disrespectful. She's weak on immigration. She's bankrolled by people who want open borders. And she said there shouldn't be a limit on immigration. You should work with corporate CEOs. Thanks, Governor. That is pale pastels. That Governor, is warmed thank over you so much. So, Governor Ham. Pretty good answer. Pretty strong answer. Hey, well done. And he actually connected to a local story. That story is true. And it's not the only one. The one about the school in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Legit. Yeah. So it, it's it, it was interesting. It, you know, people kind of said it was lackluster, and it was lackluster compared to when Vivek was in there, to be honest with my boy. But um, but it, there was some there was some good back and forth on the substance policy issues as well as them attacking each other because this is this phase we're at now. We're about, get, get, about to get down to real votes, real delegates for who's going to get to the number to actually become, you know, the Republican presidential candidate. And now they have to really start, you know, pulling out the knives to try to separate out themselves from each other and get a non, non-Trump vote together. Yeah, we're three days out. Yep. All this is coming to a headway now. Yeah. So if the, you know, the conjecture is that these two end up on a ticket together, people just forget that they Ron DeSantis do. says, <laughs> you can't trust Nikki Haley on immigration, yep. blah, blah, blah. Yep. They always do, right? It seems that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, to, to some extent. You heard how you heard how Chris Christie was talking about the two people that he was running against, right? You know, it's just like, ah, she's not very good. You know, it wasn't the turn, return on investment that I got. And, you know, he oh, called was, me up. That was in private. You know, or, you know supposedly supposed so to be. So behind the scenes, these guys are, aren't as, or are never as, the invective is a lot of theater. Often, not sure. all the time. Like sometimes people really hate each other. Yeah, right? like I think Vivek and Nikki Haley actually hate each other. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> right, right. It does happen. And, it, and when it does happen, it's usually along ideological lines. And I don't think there's actually that much daylight between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley ideologically. Yeah. You know, they're basically the same Republican brand functionally. I think Ron has more ideals that he actually believes in, where I don't think I'm not convinced Nikki really believes in much at all. Like she is just wherever the money is swaying her to believe in, like whatever the donors DeSantis has changed positions because of donors, I think, or been wishy-washy because of donors. But I actually think he has general basic beliefs about the constitution and stuff that is much more in line with the conservative ethos where Nikki, I think she is much more opportunistic in a sense. Um, that is my read of them. If I was to like psychoanalyze the two, Mm. but that being said, they are both kind of controlled by the same system in a sense. Well, and, and definitely responding. I mean, maybe not controlled, but at least responding to the same incentives. Yeah. Right. So the, she got a chance to answer on immigration too. And I think this is another important kind of dynamic part of the dynamism that we're going to see over the next uh, year. Donald Trump uh, are attacking you for that comment in 2015 in which you said undocumented immigrants should not be called, quote, criminals. At the time, the full context is you said, quote, we don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. They're families that want a better life and they're desperate to get here, unquote. Do you still feel that way? I saw them when I was at the United Nations. I saw them. That doesn't mean we should let them into our country. I mean, first of all, I will tell you that when I was governor of South Carolina, we passed the toughest illegal immigration law in the country. Obama sued us over it and we won. We fought Obama on illegal immigration. We fought Obama on migrant kids. We fought Obama on Syrian refugees. We fought Obama on Guantanamo Bay um, prisoners. I have always said we are a country of laws. The second we stop being a country of laws, we give up everything this country was founded on. But I will tell you, in passing that toughest illegal immigration law in the country, we passed E-Verify, which I want to take national, which is where businesses have to prove that the people they hire are 
in this country legally. I passed it within six months of being governor. Ron didn't pass it for five years. He only waited to pass it when he decided to run for president. What we need to do is not just ban a wall. We need to put 25,000 Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. We need to defund sanctuary cities once and for all. No more safe havens for illegal immigrants. We need to make sure we go back to the Remain in Mexico policy so that no one even steps foot on U.S. soil. And instead of catch and release, we need to go to catch and deport. That's the only way we'll stop the incentives of these illegal immigrants coming across. Biden turned around and gave half a million Venezuelans temporary protective status. That's half a million driver's licenses, half a million social security numbers. All that does is incentivize them to pick up the phone, call their family members and tell them. Thank you, Governor. Governor DeSantis. She did bring, when she was governor, she did bring Syrian refugees and she got criticized for that. That is Uh, not true. She also, in her comment, hold on one second, Governor. DeSantis lies, Doug. We'll give you a turn in a second. Governor DeSantis. It's noted. So she called him a liar a ton throughout the throughout the thing. She's just like, you're a liar. You're a liar. I'm like, it was just constant. Her entire Twitter account was just that too during it. Oh, really? Just posting what? Like sources to the things he said? No, it's just basically like DeSantis is a liar. (laughs) Like over and over again. What is that? DeSantisLies.com. I want to know. I haven't looked at the website. Bring it up. Let's check out DeSantisLies.com. Let's do it live. Do it live. Welcome Uh, to Ron DeSantis's world of lies. DeSantisLies.com. Let's find out. Um, okay. Um, the documented more, lies. His world of lies. The more Ron DeSantis loses, the more he lies. Get the facts about Ron DeSantis's latest lies about Nikki Haley's record and his own. Ooh. Gaza refugees, energy policy, China subsidies, Haley's China China record, China. Confucius Institutes, Hillary Clinton. China. What's the Hillary Clinton? DeSantis falsely claims Hillary Clinton is Nikki Haley's role model. <laughs> I gotta say, the wait, fashion wait, wait, sense. Wait, 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 what's very the truth similar. Here? DeSantis is destroying Haley's comments. Fact checkers denounce DeSantis lies. Oh, they here, use here, fact here, here. checkers. Oh, ho, ho, ho. oh. They did a lot of but what, what DeSantis is probably doing is she probably like it's because it, she's it's, running as yeah. I'm the woman in the race. Yes. That's what he means. Yes. And that's that's factually true. I mean, her first comments were, if you want a real problem to solve it, have a woman solve it. It's like you come on. Really? Come on. Really? And not to mention the whole Vivek thing, which we've covered. Yep. Absolute bullshit. Go actually to the bottom. Let's see what's paid for by. Uh, paid, paid for, for by, by Nikki. Nikki Haley oh, okay. It's actually a campaign product. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, if you want to know all the reasons that Ron DeSantis is full of shit, DeSantisLies.com. <laughs> From Nikki's perspective. <laughs> From, Nikki's From perspective. Nikki Haley's I perspective. I don't know. I'm a grain of salt. All right. Um, so that, I think, uh, so part of that is the immigration debate is going to be a major theme. I mean, obviously, we've, I've wanted to cover it on our show because there's always like this trickle of immigration stuff going on, but it's never, it's never like really rose to the top out of all the orders of stuff. And we really need to do some kind of systematic like breakdown of it at some yeah. point because it's um it's it's one of those things of where i kind of hate the conversation because i feel like all of the talking points around it are very surface level yeah. and there's so much nuance that exists there and everything kind of just comes into this like closed border versus open border where it's like really the conversation is so much more nuanced than that and everybody's not really like giving policy like real policy prescriptions anywhere it, it, I, I I always stay away from the immigration debate because of that it just it, it's always a frustrating topic to me but it is going to be a major topic this year no yeah doubt. I mean Trump is going to bring it to the forefront obviously the Republican debate's going to continue to rise on it because it, it is a major issue just a background issue that always is just there right 
Yeah. Well, and especially when we have the uh, Nikki Hay- or the uh, the Nikki the Ashley Saints Claire story that broke, and right. James O'Keefe has been doing a lot of coverage on it now with right. these undocumented immigrants on planes with like trash bags or buses going through and like, buses. He's actually they actually did a chase sequence yeah, where were, James O'Keefe is like chasing a bus down around town. Did you see this? Yeah, like, I didn't the, see the, it. Oh my the god! The buses transporting the uh, like these immigrants are like trying to flee journalists and stuff. Yeah. Um. It's. Was there a video? I've just heard yes. people talking. Yes. Oh, I haven't seen the video. Yeah, the video is pretty well. It, it's uh, it's a long one. It's like a 20-minute high-speed uh, migrant video. bus chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real thing. So uh, we should we should definitely do some coverage on that here soon. Um, yeah, there's also there, there's a broad conversation about this that we were kind of talking about in the Discord, too, of how boring the debate is and how anti-charismatic, anti-charismatic, they're against charisma, <laughs> <laughs> how non-charismatic a lot of these traditional political feel, figures feel to me like, do you guys feel just that in way? general or just on in the immigration just, issue? No, just in general across the board, like in this debate, how boring it was. I watched the debate highlight and it's just like, there's just nothing there. You know, I think it's a little tough when you've come from a paradigm of, of like Trump. Uh, and then you've also got Vivek who are, or very like, I would say animated high energy people. Um, you might feel a little let down by the by the establishment candidates. But it's not just this year either, though. It's like it's it's seen this way since t- like two thousand. <laughs> like when I think back, I think of Reagan types and Clinton types. They're very smooth, very charismatic, telling good stories. It didn't seem as canned as it is. And then it's like something in the two thousands happened where all of our political figures just got like so non charismatic. Obama's maybe an exception, maybe why, a reason why he rose because sure. he was like a good orator, right? Yeah, but. All of these people, it's like Y2K happened and it's like all of a sudden the charisma's gone. Maybe that's when the lizards <laughs> took over. I don't know. <laughs> CERN. I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's a real it's a good question because if you look look at like the Bush versus Gore debates, they're highly rigid and policy wonkish and like nuanced. It's actually pretty good. Like you watch it like, wow. They were like doing some stuff. Like they're like they're really debating how to think about different foreign policy, domestic issues and things like that to a much finer degree. And there wasn't nearly as much attacking each other. It was much. It was much more civil um, than our current era. Was sure. there a shift with regard to think tanks and different policy organizations bringing more ideas to candidates to represent around that time? I don't, know. I don't think so. I mean, they're, they're, think that's tanks always kind of been the paradigm. Have, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Actually, what it sounds like you're looking for is something that, that I'm not looking for. Because <laughs> 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 I was saying that there's just like a lack of when I think of Bush v. Gore, that's also very like non charismatic. That's no, what it I, seems I agree to be with. Where it I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm saying just yeah. in that period, that's what that looked like. Yeah. Um, like, but if you look at like Dole versus Clinton, it's it, Clinton is a charming Southern drawl candidate, and Dole was super boring. Right, um, George Bush Senior, boring. You yeah, know, so I don't, I don't really know. I can't, I, I can't really tell but, you. But it's even just like the McCain, senators, lame. Like the, the senators, the Congress people. I don't yeah. know. Like everything just feels so more canned and rigid. For I think some part reason. of it is that, especially looking at it from how I was, how we talked about it as political scientists when I was going to college, was that there was a moment where media penetration into the campaign was so deep. Wow, that was really. <laughs> deep penetration <laughs> heard it here first folks i just meant like trackers became a thing um the amount of accountability you can get how viral something could get um really started to even before the internet was as big as it is now 
begin to change the incentives to like push a more polished front forward mm, because yep. you could have a singular gaffe that would absolutely ruin you. Right. Like the thing, like the, oh, Dean, or, the uh, Howard Dean. Howard Dean. Dean. <laughs> it's a good example, right? He's at a, he's at a thing and he's, uh, we should have that be one of the, that should that absolutely be, such be on a the good one. Is where he's at a thing. He's at a New Hampshire and he just lost. He got like second or third. And he's saying, well, we're going to go to these other places. We're going to pick it up. We're he's trying to, to hide New the Hampshire. crowd. And we're going to go to yeah. Ohio. And yeah. we're going to go to, and we're going to go here. And we're going to go here. Yeah. And you yeah. just, yeah, um, you try to be this rallying don't cry. don't know what we're talking about, translate. this is the famous Howard Dean moment. Oh, that really you can see what, so you can see where it is. Look at the, look at the, <laughs> where the viewers tune in on the timeline. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching us on video, yeah, this but is I, I, th- I think I think we need the build up to it. Yeah, let's, right, let's get right, a little build up. The Howard Dean moment. You know something? You know something? He's in Iowa currently. If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> which is such a like kind of an innocuous thing it's, when you watch it in totally that context reasonable. it does something. not matter but at all the internet got a hold of that and it was everywhere it became and they a meme mocked him they got into the, the Chappelle show and it was like <laughs> like and he was doing like it it got into a different level of orbit I think it created a perverse incentive for a lot of polish Mm-hmm. that has then resulted in like that push has an equal and opposite push back culturally. So as you push more uh, polish, you get a authenticity da- gap Yeah, where people are actually looking for a beyond moment. They're looking for someone who act like a human, right? Who are, he's like trying, everyone knows how hard public speaking is. So when you see a guy like trying to hype up a crowd and he goes, Bow! you know, <laughs> you kind of go like, oh, okay, that's funny now. But back then it was just like, what is this guy doing? You know, like, it was a different moment. We had different expectations for candidates and we had a different like relationship to politics because we didn't have the authenticity gap yes. that, were, that people were trying to fill in. Prior to that point, you had a bit of cover from the fact that you were only really judged through the lens of mainstream media. Mm-hmm. And that was the way that people got news. But as social media became huge, every single thing you did became scrutinized in a whole different way. And it shifted the way that campaigns had to be run to protect candidates from moments like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you are a small business owner looking for exponential growth, you have to connect with Adam Thune at Intellectual Patriots. He will revolutionize your business game and help you get to the next level. Adam can streamline your business practices and advertising strategies to improve your bottom line. His expertise in data engineering means he can build you the systems you need to collect and analyze market data. His mission is to provide you with invaluable insights to fuel your success. From grant writing and business proposals to digital systems integrations, even AI management, Intellectual Patriots is a one-stop shop for cutting-edge solutions. Don't wait another second. Visit intelpatriots.com to learn more. That's I-N-T-E-L patriots.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages. They're on a mission to unf*** the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. 
Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. So uh, Vivek, because he was not invited to the CNN debate, he decided to do his own thing with TimCast, where he showed up, uh, brought the TimCast crew out, I think is what you said, Kyle. I'm actually Um, not sure about that. Judging by the... I was assuming, because I knew that this was coming, I saw all of the TimCast crew members posting pictures on X of them on a private jet. So I was was assuming that... Is that Tim's jet? I'm pretty I, I i have a feeling it was vivek bringing them out sign up on the Substack so joe can get his own jet anyway so we'd love a jet Thanks. nikki haley yeah. <laughs> what what he what this is him responding to what nikki haley represents i thought it was a it was an interesting action what he would have said had he been at the debates but he doesn't have to wear a tie he can he can dress down yeah he just yeah. looks like joe he looks now, like joe. <laughs> now i just want to comment on this guy's fashion sense here because <laughs> he did comment on nikki haley's absolutely perfect <laughs> spot on couldn't imagine i don't know kind of washes him out from the background a more buddy. a more every man a more relatable <laughs> attire for vivek than this dropping into the background a little bit he could use a backlight perhaps purple i i, I like purple <laughs> but i think overall really good maybe nine, nine maybe, out of ten. maybe dye his hair a little <laughs> you know get, get a little red swoosh in there you know what i'm not gonna tell the guy what to do with his hair uh grow out the beard take out that shadow maybe a little, a, bit, maybe a little bit of beard might help him <laughs> you know define that that jaw a little bit but spe- like speaking of this is something that i've noticed <laughs> and this seems to be true in political culture and corporate culture in general is we're starting to see more of a casualness returning and i think people i think there are a subset of people i don't think everybody i think a lot of people want their politicians to still be suited up and kind of represent like the fancy man at the church kind of a thing because mm. uh, that's all that's all our washington dc is the church and every we send our fancy men there <laughs> right <laughs> but uh you end up having this guy who's a lot more i think authentic representation here and that's what the black tea i think has <laughs> right Oh, Joshi, I'm just getting, I'm getting the Vivek authentic <laughs> representation. <laughs> you are the everyman. man. That's right. All right. So yeah, here is uh, Vivek talking about uh, Nikki. I know. I was trying to figure out for a long time. It didn't feel like it was going to be a Trump versus Biden race. There's a lot with Biden. You got the documents case coming out. Why are they trotting that against Biden after like 10 years? Hunter Biden. Okay, we could have talked about it. Now suddenly it's gaining credibility. Didn't feel like it was going to be Biden. So I think incorrectly assumed that it was going to be Gavin Newsom or somebody else as the new puppet other than Biden they want to trot out. And I think what became increasingly clear is that they've actually found a much more convenient new puppet, a puppet who actually can give them a lot of air cover by being within the Republican Party or the guise of the Republican Party itself. And that's Nikki Haley, of course. The very people who are paying to keep Trump off the ballot in lawsuits like Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, or even Larry Fink, the king of the woke industrial complex, the leader of BlackRock, Look at who they're supporting. It's not Gavin Newsom. It's not Joe Biden. It's Nikki Haley, actually. And so what they want to do, to put it in plain sight, is to make this a two-horse race between Donald Trump and a puppet who they can control. I believe that's Nikki Haley. Eliminate Trump from contention. And then trot in their controllable puppet into the White House. That's the game that's hiding in plain sight. And I think everybody's falling for it, actually. I don't think they're falling for it. I think it's very it's odd. Every time we look at the polls or the, the news organizations, they keep stop. telling us Nikki is surging. And it's so obvious if you speak to people that she's not. After every single debate, they're like, Nikki won. Nikki won. Even when it's Candace so Owens, odd. She's not even way, third place in terms of listeners. who won. And they're trying to convince us. It's every time. Yeah. a full propaganda effort Absolutely. when it comes to Nikki Haley. And you're right. Um, I think the part it's pretty sinister for- what they're doing. 
Yeah, so he brought um, Candace Owens with him, which is also interesting, right? And doing a bunch of events with her at the events running around Iowa, which is, I mean, she's an internet celebrity, internet candidate, uh, young person, young person's candidate. I mean, it, it leans into his strengths and obviously- Conservatives love her. Conservatives love her, yeah. Quite true. Yeah, it's a good move. Um, one of the things here is uh, Vivek's model for how to think about politics, I think is interesting and it's why reason doesn't like him. Right. He sees politics as you have the establishment is out there doing something, that there's an interest group of people who are trying to do a thing versus people who are actually trying to do it the way it's supposed to be done, which is real people with real ideas trying to gain leadership. It's a group of people who are like, we're going to select and push for our candidates to get there. Obviously, something that everyone wants to do, but there's a group of people who want to do that and they are wealthy and bought into interest groups that benefit from the status quo, benefit from a large military, um, active military, uh, benefit from the current situation with our the way we relate to finance and the Fed and our incentives when it comes to such things, and that those people are trying to select a candidate. Now, if you don't believe that, what's your model, right? How do you explain politics? Um, in a way that isn't completely naive. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's taking off so well is he's trying to pierce that that veil, but it's also why he's getting a lot of pushback. Hmm. Well, and I think there's also an element too. There's a lot of useful idiots in politics. And um, uh, Lenin talks about this all the time. One, you know, Soviet dictator. <laughs> he knows a thing or two about useful idiots, I think. <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize that they're puppets. And a lot of people kind of think that they're just individuals, but they're part of a culture and that culture matters. And that culture is pushing something towards a direction and it is influencing people subconsciously. Um, and a lot of these people, and this is, I think where the reason people often go wrong. I tend to agree with the reason people on policy, like 90% of the time usually, but when it comes to their understanding of political culture, that's where I think that they get things wrong. And it's because I think that they are very embedded not even like they don't even like realize that they're part of it, but they're embedded in that DC culture and they don't even realize the influences that are kind of pushing them in certain directions of their thoughts. That that's, that's the way I tend to look at this thing. I think it's a little easier to see too. When you're from a flyover state, you know, you're not part of elite culture, not part of the Manhattan Manhattan club. You know, uh, there's also, uh, a, when we talk, say reason people, we're talking about is reason magazine. To be clear, mm-hmm. you guys not know about all the <laughs> yeah. inter discord talking that goes on. An uh, example of this is there was an article that they put out uh, a few days ago on the tenth, um, saying farewell to Chris Christie, the lone candidate in the Republican race with the courage to directly challenge Donald Trump. Farewell, Chris. <laughs> well, Goodbye. And 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 you, you know, served our country well. And, well, and, and it's, <laughs> you know, the thing is, it's true. He did challenge Donald Trump. But you're kind of like missing the forest for the trees here. <laughs> well, in, in the broader context, for those that don't know what reason is, is it's, it's, it's widely known as sort of a libertarian publication, right? It's the biggest one. It has a lot of respect, too. Right? But within libertarianism, there are different sort of factions. value sets, factions, right? And they're sort of more of the mainstream beltway libertarians, as we sort of put it right. The, the yep. DC blob libertarians, if you will. That's how they're attacked by the opposition. They're, they're critics within the, that movement. Well, right. so it's not, it's that they wouldn't say that about themselves, of course. Well, of course like, not. But but how would you how would you perceive something like like that statement about Chris Christie? 
who no, was not, I mean, not in any way it's, a libertarian. It's, it's Trump derangement syndrome. It's just saying that Trump is bad and, and they're trying to praise him for the thing that they agree with him on. You know, I mean, I like, I like, and I, there are good reasons to criticize Trump. Sure. Right. Um, it's just, it's just strange to use this as an opportunity to platform on that when Chris Christie is so repugnant to your values, probably by a lot of people's assessment, more so than Trump is. Right. And if you're trying to communicate to a base of libertarians who would perceive Chris Christie as not someone to really be revered in any way, <laughs> politically or ideologically, you, would be, you wouldn't be as reverent right. about the way you were sending him off. Yeah per se, right? <laughs> yeah. But, and they tend to be very reverent to people that I think that should not, they should not be reverent to often, which begs it the question often, who are they communicating to? <laughs> yeah. If and not then critical of others, right? They've been very critical of the vague for saying, for example, that January 6th was, was an inside job. Right. When it obviously was an inside job. Hold on. It obviously was because an inside job is where you have someone on the inside of a bank who helps the guys get into the bank. And we have video, and I've seen it with my own eyes, and I wanted someone to understand and convince me why it wasn't with my own eyes of a guard <laughs> saying, hey, come on in. Like, we've seen the video. Like, don't lie to me and tell me I didn't see the video. I'm not yeah. a crazy person. Yeah. You know, well, it's like the guy here in Yiddish in his basement over here. I'm watching... <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching the video happen on January 6th. The people like of guards just standing around watching people, not stopping them, and then being like, or not, opening doors and not things just like that. Yeah, touring people through the Capitol or removing barriers and like waving people towards the Capitol. Right. I mean, I'm repeatedly seeing this, and then I'm told it's it's a it's a violent insurrection, and it's a crazy idea that 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 the FBI was there when the FBI can't tell me that they weren't. I mean, come on. Or that they don't have agent provocateurs. Yeah. When I see video of guys who look a hell of a lot like an agent provocateur. And Vivek had a great answer on this issue that I heard him say uh, in some sort of campaign event in Iowa. Yeah. Basically saying all of those things like you're literally you're telling me that that I can't that I'm not supposed to say this was an inside job when really like there was a capital officer who yeah. waved somebody in. And yeah. that guy who was waved in actually won his court case. Uh, in his January 6th court hearing based on that evidence. This podcast on TimCast, too, uh, they s literally started the uh, podcast with Tim reading off the definitions of inside job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he was like, he's like from uh, Merriam-Webster's inside job. And, and that's where it was that I heard it, it yeah. actually. It was on this show. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Thank you. And and he's like, because the corporate press will be here, he kind of does like the Trump thing and is like, they're in the back because yeah. <laughs> they showed up to the event as well, which is Radical funny. left funny symbolically that you end up having the corporate press having to go in and cover a live show from a podcast kind of funny yeah uh, i was thinking about oh, that in the beginning there interesting mm. uh, I, I enjoy that dynamic pivotal moments <laughs> Um, the flippening, the, the flippening is about to happen. <laughs> it's, it's happening. <laughs> is, uh, um, so th this next clip from there is uh, talking about the VP mm -hmm. thing, um, because a lot of people, even even Elon, just yesterday, somebody asked, "Would you support Vivek for VP?" and Elon responded, "Yes." And everybody's like, "Oh, Elon would." Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But like, th that's so much part of the conversation right now. Everybody's just like, "I'm really becoming more impressed with Vivek. I want him to be VP." That's always the thing. I want him to be VP. I want him to be VP. Right. But uh, here's his response to that um, from the podcast. Scenario: Donald Trump wins the primary. He, said, he, he, he comes right on out and says, Vivek Ramaswamy, you are my vice president. What do you say? Donald Trump wins the, you're saying Donald Trump wins the primary and then that. So I think we just have to have an honest conversation. I mean, if, if that's the scenario we're in, that's not what I'm playing for, but if that's what we're in, I have an inconvenient attribute 
which is that I have opinions. I have strong opinions about things. I'm not somebody who really, you know, rolls over or whatever. But I feel, what I've said I feel is Donald Trump has my full support if he's the nominee. And I expect his full support if I'm the nominee. But I don't think we get to that place. That's the whole premise of, of I mean, when you think it's Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden is the puppet, you think you might get to that place. I don't think they want Biden or Newsom. I think Nikki is a far more reliable pawn for the system with respect to the two things they care about most, which is keeping the foreign war machine humming, far more reliable on places from the Middle East to Ukraine. She's far more hawkish than actually anybody in the Democratic side. And with respect to the national security state, I don't think Joe Biden could have come up with the idea if he tried to tie every social media account and Internet account with a government issued ID. So I don't think it goes there, Tim. I think where it goes is they want this late in the primary and then they get the air cover because the Democratic Party's brand isn't doing too hot. The permanent state is fundamentally nonpartisan at its core. So they get the air cover of saying, oh, yeah, we weren't even we weren't even doing the Democrat game where, where most of the Republican base watching cable news thinks it's about beating Biden. They're missing the plot. That's what's going on. I think he's got a good point there where the play is not even actually trying to win as a as a Democrat for anyone because. Well, I, I, I don't think that the Democratic Party has a candidate that can really win very well in this climate. I think so I think the power on the on the right is too much. So they're the system's best effort to you know maintain its own control is to put up a candidate within the Republican Party that they can actually manipulate. And Nikki Haley does seem like a pretty good empty suit, as we've talked about throughout the course of this show. Maybe doesn't have a lot of her own ideas, right? Doesn't really know why the civil war started. Maybe he doesn't really know uh, three provinces in Ukraine. Oh, she she knows why the civil war started. She's from the South. She can't say it because she's a political hack. Right? Yeah. Just, that's, that's why. Okay, fair. But doesn't have the, doesn't have the uh, fortitude to put her own opinions forward yep. because she's beholden to other things that are more important to her. Well, it also showcases right, left Republican Democrat doesn't necessarily matter. These are vehicles. Um, for transmitting ideas into the political system or or transmitting power influence into the political system. And the people that really want to get things done, the people that are like power players and that they're looking at the geopolitics as a chessboard and things like that, um, the big billionaires, the big kind of major think tank operators, they don't necessarily look at the game as like, oh, Republicans need to win or Democrats need to win. It's we need to get certain things across and we are going to find whichever avenue makes the most sense from a game theory perspective. And right now, the game theory perspective seems to be co-op the right mm-hmm. in, in some manner. Yeah. Uh, get rid of the big orange dude that's uh, very bombastic and, and just kind of throwing bombs at everything, metaphorical bombs. Um, like at the walls and kind of uncovering what's behind the curtain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, get rid of him, prop up somebody that can take his place. Maybe we can co-op the MAGA movement a little bit and, and throw some pleasantries that way. I, I actually, I think that that happened with the Tea Party a lot. Well, there's a lot of figures that came in through the Tea Party that were supposed to be these like, yes, less spending, all these stuff, like kind of the Marco Rubios of the world. Yeah, like the, Ted um, Cruz and yeah. stuff. Um, Although Ted Cruz did, is still pretty, he's tea he's, he's he's better. More, he's more of a yeah. gangster of the Tea Party than he's like Marco Rubio, who's largely Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, sure. people yeah. like that. Largely gave up the ghost on that stuff. Yeah. Although although I think Paul Ryan actually precedes the Tea Party, but still, like it's that sort of like we were going to be a new conservative wave that largely got let down, and largely because the Tea Party got 
eaten by you know fundraisers and fund spenders uh, who basically scammed a tremendous amount of grassroots activists out of money and support and basically just did nothing with it. Well, and, yeah. and this isn't new either. Like this is the Rothbardian argument on what Buckley was and the National Review types. Um, we kind of covered the what who Buckley was in the past on a previous episode, but yep. and and kind of what I was talking about is people think that there's like they think of the Republican Party as this other era. They're thinking about the Buckley era and where the the more neocon influence happened. Um, that was, in my opinion, uh, co opting. That is kind of this similar dynamic right here. The obviously way to, the the most obvious way to see it is watch Bill Crystal be a Democrat, turn into a Republican work in Republican administrations, see Donald Trump become a Democrat again. And everyone just kind of goes like, eh, look at that. Like no <laughs> one goes like, that's strange. And like, no one goes like, that's really weird. Like people don't really do that. Like you never saw Rush Limbaugh just become a Democrat one day. It's almost as if no you know? one expects Bill Crystal to actually have <laughs> principles. Well, he has, no, he, he has, has principle. principles. Oh yeah. But, Part, partisan. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. He has, he has a principle. It is bomb all the brown people in the Middle East. That is his principle. That's, a, that's it. Turn the Middle East into a sheet of glass. It's, it's like the Rick and Morty when they're doing the debates and it's just like, more nukes. You know, like that's it. You could answer the questions. Like, nope, I've, I've answered the question. You know, like that's, and and, and it's, his thing is, my party is the party that's willing to bomb, bomb more. Like yeah. that is his party and he will switch parties. If the libertarian party wanted to start bombing everybody in the middle East, he'd be like, I'm a libertarian now guys. Right. <laughs> like that, That's what it would be. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> no, it isn't. Libertarians well, like put forward a Raytheon lobbyist at one point. So no. it could be. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Gary Johnson's VP. What's his name? The dude from Ohio. <laughs> Bill Weld. Bill Weld. He's a Raytheon and, and, and then, executive. And then and after, and, he, and he was, and then he came, Bodies. then he left endorsed Hillary Clinton. And then afterwards was like on TV saying, Oh, Donald Trump has committed treason. And you know what the punishment for treason is? Is death. <laughs> like this was the libertarian candidate, Wild. right? Or the VP candidate. Can, could you imagine that the that there's a group of people who are like, I'm so surprised by the Mises caucus take over the LP. I'm so surprised. I, I don't, After why that would happened, that, yeah, imagine like, why. think about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of which, we do have um, a bunch of studies that are like polling that have come out about third parties. And we I probably should have put this in. I'll put it into the group discord that you guys should check out. There's a bunch of new stuff about willingness to vote third party and kind of like a growth of a third party block. It's very interesting stuff, uh, especially when it comes to RFK Jr. and him running for third party. The LP basically not having anything real put together despite being one of the only parties that's on the ballot in 50 states. And then the Green Party putting forth, um, what's his, what's his name? Is a college professor. Really like him. It's, um, oh man, I'm spacing his name right now. Dean Phillips. No, that's he's a Democrat. No, he's Democrat. No. Um, oh, man. How can I forget his name? I got it. It is. Oh, oh, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the, the black activist. Howie yes, Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Howie Hawkins. No, 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 no. no Cornell no, no. West. Cornell, Cornell West. West. Yes. Yes. Cornell West. Okay. He's like, um, the, he's like the Milton Freeman of the left. That's, I, that's, the way, oh, that's, I, a that's the way I always describe him. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. He's like, he's like the, the charismatic intellectual that, that everybody kind of looks to in the same way that conservatives look and at just a, and just a joy to listen to. Even as he, I completely disagree with him on everything. I just like listening to the guy. He's yeah. just, he's just, he's so kind and just, just an upstanding. Fellow. So you're um, saying with the current options that exist, more people are willing to vote third party than, than have ever yes. before been willing to do. So. Yeah. People are staring down the barrel of a Biden versus Trump <laughs> presidential election again. And they're like, ah, oh, and like, really? there's some interesting polling on this It is still early. We'll see how it actually. Well, th- that was the yeah. thing is um, all in podcast, uh, which I know Joe and I both listen to quite a bit. Um, 
they put out their political predictions. They did a whole prediction episode of like predictions for the year. Mm-hmm. And that was Friedberg's prediction was that this is going to be the year that we see the beginnings, not the, not the, an actual, but the beginnings of the rise of an actual third party. And there's going to be legitimate conversation around like, what do we name it? What do we do the, like, cause that, that is kind of the problem in my opinion of the libertarian party is the name people get kind of, <laughs> libertarian i don't know what that means but if you if you gave it like a solid if you gave a third party a solid name that people can get behind and that people can left curve really hard and be like i like it i don't like those things i like this what does green party mean though same thing it has no viability because it's 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 It's, too singular singular focus you like green yeah like what about green you like money i like turtles the environment or turtles (laughs) i like like grass (laughs) (laughs) um but because because that is how do we market it like i think that there's going to be like legitimate donor dollars that start to go towards third-party funding um and we're going to see the beginnings of it in some meaningful fashion i think the libertarian party has its use case um the problem is i think I, i actually think the libertarian party might be too idealistic and that's why they can't go anywhere. No, it's too. You don't say. It's too focused on wonky libertarianism, <laughs> <Dude>. right? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, 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 Liam. <laughs> but it actually has to mean something too. Anyways, uh, let's let's jump over. So Trump also was in the news uh, on Fox. Uh, he had to. He got a chance to respond to a bunch of stuff while being attacked by nobody, right? So he's as like press people asking questions about his record, right? Uh, yeah, and I think it's an important component of the dialogue that we're going to have going into the presidential election. We have completely different channels, so that will have an interesting that you have the Fox channel, you have the CNN channel with the other three candidates, and then you have the internet channel with the Vivek. So we'll see how it shakes. But this is him responding to eight trillion dollars in deficit spending has hit you again and again on this $8 trillion figure and call you a big government Republican. What do you say to that? I say very simply, we were starting to pay down debt. We were going to pay down a lot of debt. When COVID came along, if I didn't inject this country with money, you would have had a depression the likes of which you've never seen. You had to inject money. We gave businesses that were going bankrupt, temporarily bankrupt, but they needed money. We helped businesses. If I didn't do that, you would have had a depression in this country. That was a very good investment. And now what they should be doing, instead of the kind of debt that they're building at record levels, they should be paying down their debt and they ought to go into the energy business instead of this green new scam business that they're in. But what about the future? What about cutting spending? $34 trillion in debt. You know, let, let's look at what you would do in terms of getting that number down. What, what would you get rid of? We have a lot of cutting, but we also have a lot of income. We have more liquid gold under our feet, energy, oil and gas, than any other country in the world, more than Saudi Arabia, more than Russia. And when I came in, we were number four. When I left, you know, not that long a period of time, four years, we were number one by a lot. And we were soon going to double up Saudi Arabia and Russia combined. And we were going to make a lot of money. We have a lot of, of potential income. DeSantis wants to cut Social Security and Medicare. Nikki Haley wants to cut Social Security and Medicare. Nikki Haley wanted to raise the uh, age from 65 to 74, 75 but or 76. But only for young people in their 20s. It, it, I mean, that, that's going to run that's out of money. That's what they say. That's what they so at some point, someone well, has to address it, right? That's what they say when it starts. They say only for young people. It's only for young people. And then it doesn't work for young people. And they end up getting up to people that are... Which where it matters. 
Um, I'm going to be honest. I didn't pay attention to what he said. I was just sitting here making uh, Trump hand gestures. <laughs> I don't the know whole if time. you could see if Bennett will decide to show it or not, but we were all just doing this the whole time. <laughs> Bennett, <laughs> do what you want with that. Honey. <laughs> so the question is, is what is, and this is just another way to attack on, and this I think is going to be a major part of any serious <laughs> challenge to Donald Trump is what is the Republican vision? that actually works backwards and was actually true then that's true today for how to respond to the pandemic. Do you actually believe in Keynesianism or not? Because what he just did was Keynesianism, pure up Keynesianism. Like if you don't, if you don't print dollars and you keep the flywheel of the economy, which according to Keynes was consumption going, then you're going to have a recession and that's bad. When the free market, Milton Friedman, even to Austrian view has largely been that the production, the flywheel of the economy is production. And so if you shut down production, you should expect a recession. And that's actually a good thing because you want to reconcile with reality, right? Instead of patching over reality with a bunch of, you know, inflation spending, which has now created this inflationary environment we're in today, where you've shut down the economy, print a bunch of dollars, and now have this huge problem that we have uh, today as uh, news yesterday inflation's ticked back up again oh really yeah so so what you're, what you're <laughs> saying is rate. is is trump maybe should have not printed a trillion dollars in response to the the covid pandemic thinking that okay we can just artificially stimulate consumer spending with by giving people all this money injecting all this money into the economy creating the inflation that we're seeing today. And he should have shut down the government rather than allow the Republicans to cut taxes without cutting spending. He could have done that in 2017 and it would have been completely justified in doing so. I mean, it was absurd, absurd for them to do what they did. Uh, intentionally increasing the deficit in a time when he's literally trying to pull back troops from the Middle East and do all these other things and then say, oh, what we need to do is increase all the budgets even more while we also cut taxes. Now, receipts actually increased over that time, but just not as fast as their increased spending. Wow. So it's actually absurd. You know, in the... the um, so Trump really is a big government Republican. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it's just like, it, it's it's more that he missed opportunities to do better, right? These are yeah. criticisms. I don't think this was his vision, uh, per se. It's a complicated thing, right? He can't control Congress. Congress was being run by... Paul Ryan at the time, mm -hmm. right? Uh, who was supposedly a fiscal conservative who failed to actually balance the budget in part because of the Senate. The Senate is controlled by Democrats. Mitch McConnell oh. at the time. <laughs> and Mitch McConnell is a big spending Republican, right? So he has two, uh, you know, basically has to deal with the two branches of Congress and what they want. So may maybe he, he could have cut a deal with Paul Ryan if he had a decent Senate, but he didn't have that Senate. Right, so we kind of hold him responsible for a Senate that he couldn't control. Yeah. Sure, um, the budget actually comes from Congress. Like that's the only constitutional way to do it. Mm -hmm. That said, he also did. He also failed to do many steps to actually push the budget process. And he's gotten criticisms from AEI and the National Review and Heritage on those sorts of things. So these are people in his crowd. So I don't. I don't think you know he could have done better. But I can't. You can't lay it at all on his feet. That said, he did. You know, rather than saying, "Hey, look, CARES package one, okay." care package four, we're literally spending millions of dollars bailing out Indiana's pension funds, right? Like care, care package four, he could have vetoed, right? And yeah. he could, and he should, he should say, I screwed up. I listened to the wrong people and move forward. But he, you know, he's not going to do that. But that, he, really, he, re, he really wanted to say though, he wanted to say, Indiana, we came for you. We saved you. We helped you. We, 
I did it in a big way. We, we, you could not have survived the pandemic without us. Okay. That's, that's the frustrating thing around the conversations around Trump. Cause like, I, I think that there are legitimate criticisms. They just are never the criticisms that everybody wants you to, you know, like what people are always mad about Trump is like, he says mean things or whatever, yeah. but really the COVID era, I think are where the most criticisms are deserved of him. Cause like I, I generally, I'm generally okay with Trump. I kind of like the symbol that he represents. I like the bomb throwing kind of the veil sure. behind the curtain is, is like, I, I like that whole thing, but in areas where if I was to get very super nitpicky, it is the, the lockdowns. It is him uh, criticizing Thomas Massey and calling him a third rate politician. And that he has to get primaried out because he was the only person that stood against the cares act. Right. Right. Uh, it's those types of things. I'm like, Trump majorly screwed up on right. and yeah to and, me it's, and to be clear I don't think that DeSantis or Nikki Haley had they been president in 2020 would have done anything different I think no. they probably would have been they, worse they would have been they, yeah yeah mm-hmm. they, they would have do that while we were had troops on the ground in Ukraine it's hard to know how any candidate would have responded but I think in retrospect and knowing kind of the person that, that Trump is or the person that he has portrayed himself to be in the public light there's a degree of of you know, the egotism that surrounds him that I think he wanted to be the guy who could take credit for saving X, Y, or Z in regards of that scenario and that crisis that we were in. He wanted to be able to say, I did this for you. I did that for you. And that's such a temptation for any politician who has a big government streak or who has the want to be the person who saves the day it's also like it's part of our moment right we live in the post-progressive era it's like it's like people think that hoover the uh, historical analogy real quick people think that hoover was a free market radical when he was a progressive right you really read in your history books that hoover got around and he didn't do anything because he was a free market radical and that's why we the depression got so bad because he refused to intervene Nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, it's not true at all. He was a giant progressive who intervened in lots of stuff. In fact, a lot of FDR's regime was continuing and doubling down on what FDR did. He just didn't do enough of it, is what FDR said. There's- so it, it's 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 actually the environment that you're in, and we actually look back and we say, why didn't weren't you different than the environment you were in at the time? And people rarely, very rarely, are actually stand out from their environment. Most people are apples in apple boxes they're not themselves like completely separated or differentiated from everyone else around them and that includes a guy like trump who's in a situation where he's not an expert he's not a pandemic expert he had never thought about this issue and a lot of people screwed up in this time continuing the hoover analogy and actually linking it back to the stuff that vivek was talking about with nikki haley and desantis um there is a there was a letter that FDR sent out, and it's been forever since I read this, so I, I'm greatly paraphrasing this, and I might have some things botched out here. But there was a letter that FDR sent out to someone, I can't remember, like one of his political allies, talking about how, how much of a useful tool Hoover actually was, because he and FDR calling him kind of an idiot, and having him as like a useful foil that is just going to like bring everything that we want to put forward mm. up up to the pedestal. It's, it's interesting how the history of that shook out where he is this representative of like the free market capitalist when he just wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And if you want to get into that, Amity Shales, her work on, on the Great Depression is amazing, an excellent historian, as well as Murray Rothbard's America's Great Depression. Mm-hmm. So uh, we also have him, uh, Trump, responding to his dictator accusation. We had several clips from people like Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg go viral this week saying that, oh, when Trump gets in, he's going to be a dictator. And so he got an opportunity to respond. And I think it's really important before we play this clip, the 
I think part of the reason why we should and we are going through this stuff is because we haven't been able to hear from Trump at all in these debates leading up to this because he's elected not to be a part of them. But we do have, you know, the first the Iowa caucus on Monday. And so people probably should be listening to more of what Trump has to say before they decide, do I want to vote for him or not? That is the weird thing about Trump. Actually, before we get into the clip, that is an interesting kind of dialogue point is how little I've actually seen of Trump over the last year. Like I see little small things here. Some things from truth social makes it over to X. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it is weird where it's like people are coming around and coalescing around the symbol that is Trump and not actually seeing anything he's doing over the last year. Like there's just not that much out there. Interesting correlation to DeSantis in that way. The pandemic era DeSantis, people didn't get to see him. And and then when they didn't see him, it was like, Oh, like that wasn't exactly what I, thought i don't know i'm not saying that's going to be the case he's he's just gaining so much traction because the symbol of the rebel going against the sim the 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 system and the system's coming after him like that's what people know but nobody's actually seeing trump out there doing stuff right and potentially there's a risk that people are recalling the trump that they knew from 2016 or you know that era 2020 when when he was you know who he was then we haven't really seen as much of him recently. So yeah, when I do see him, he doesn't have the juice he used to have. Like he doesn't have the juice. Interesting. I think that's the people that feel that way are going to, to Vivek. And then a lot of people are just like, cause they're kind of Trump's also 80. He's, (laughs) but he's offered this narrative that he is, their retribution for getting screwed over people in the last election cycle, right? And and that's sort of been a very interesting dynamic because a lot of people on the left, I think, see that as like kind of a very fearful thing. Like, oh, like he's if he gets elected, like it's going to be chaos. It's going to be just he's going to be raining fire on everyone, and the country's going to go to shit, and it's going to be terrible. He's going to be a dictator. He's going to be a dictator. And here's him responding how he's not going to be a dictator. <laughs> now, in recent days, you seem to issue a warning that if in the courts, and even the U.S. Supreme Court, if they didn't treat you fairly, that maybe there would be bedlam in the country. Use that word, bedlam in the country. And in the last two days, at the same time, in the last two speeches, President Biden is focusing his campaign on the threat to democracy and political violence. Take a listen. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. never. All right, so to Robert's question, this is clearly a focus of the Biden campaign. So can you say tonight that political violence is never acceptable? Well, of course that's right. And of course, I'm the one that had very little of it. Take a look at wars again. I didn't start. I wasn't involved in wars. We beat the hell out of ISIS. We won 100 percent. We brought our troops back home. Look at look at the violence that we've had. Look at the violence we have recently. Right, with, but when you say bedlam, what do you mean? I think you, you say, have bedlam. I think you look at Joe Biden, it's bedlam. You have a man who can't lead. You have a man who can't find his way off a stage after he makes a speech that lasts for about two minutes. Now, I think bedlam is Joe Biden. I think that he's using this. This is just a political ploy. Trump is a dictator. He wants to be a dictator. You know, it's interesting. I did a show, Sean Hannity. Did you ever hear of him? He's a very nice man. <laughs> and he said, essentially, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? Tell me. I think he was trying to give me a nicer question than maybe you guys would. He meant it very well. I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. We're going to do two things. The border, we're going to make it so tight you can't get in unless you come in legally. 
And the other is energy. We're going to drill, baby, drill. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. After that, I'm not going to be a dictator. So, so you weren't press, saying no, that no, the And courts- the press picks it up. So I said, I'm going to be a dictator for one day. They cut it. They go, I'm going to be a dictator. But they cut the rest of the sentence. No, no. I am not going to be a dictator. I'm going to manage like we did. We were so successful that the country was coming together. Yeah, I mean, then he pivots to his record on the thing. Now, I, w- I want to note that political violence during the Trump regime, like in 2016, was substantial. Like, it was a wild year. Like what is 20- political violence? What's that mean? Well, I th- what I think of political violence is everything from Antifa and the Proud Boys beating the crap out of each other in the streets to January 6th, right? Like, these are these are all episodes of political violence. Now, how much should Trump own with that? I think relatively little. I think the Proud Boys are a response to Antifa. Antifa. BLM. In, in 2015, 2016 in is when yes. Antifa really had their big rise. Uh, and they were like beating people up on college campuses and stuff. Like right. They were showing up where speakers were going and like um, uh, uh, a girl that I knew got hit with a rock um, on a campus at one point. Allegedly. She, she was a, a Yale girl um, from Young Americans for Liberty. It was a college group. Yeah. Um, we're going to wear Bitcoin, make Bitcoin great again. Hat. Yeah, it was like it was it was a, a red, red hat. Yeah. And so oh. they, they accosted her. Oh, so yeah, this geez. I mean, that kind of political violence was was happening. But I don't see why you would pin it on him. Uh, the dictator stuff, obviously, he's joking about. Obviously, he's, he's he's saying these are really important issues. You're you're. It's one of those things where the left hears and they go like, ah, oh, oh, fainting I was couch. shaking. Oh. I was shaking. <laughs> I was shaking. Exactly. You got to get that on the soundboard. Grown actually. man. You're a grown man. Anyway, so I, I, yeah, obviously it's it's responding to the left's absurdity, which is actually an opportunity, and people should take advantage of that. He pivots to his foreign policy record, which is mixed, but you know, better than many others. So hey, good job. Um, and I and I think that there's you know that the, it was like the best you can really do with that answer or that yeah. question because it's you know it's meant it's actually. It should be taken as absurd if you're dealing on the facts, because yeah. yeah, he didn't stir political violence. Which, that's absurd. Let's just be clear: no one deals in facts anymore. It's all emotion. Well, then, but, nobody's ever dealt in facts. Yeah. It's always been emotion. <laughs> it's exactly. all just cults all the way down. But people, cults people, all people the way want down. to think that everything's about the- facts and logic <laughs> and rationality. No, no. Study some human psychology. <laughs> it's not how humans work. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> All right. So uh, he was he was then later uh, fact-checked by community notes on lockdowns on X. I don't know if you guys saw this. Yeah. And this is just like a very quick clip. And this kind of, this goes into what we were talking about is like there are, in my opinion, legitimate reasons to criticize Trump. It's just all the reasons that people want to criticize him are dumb reasons. <laughs> yeah. the, the, it's this stuff that is actually where I am hypercritical of him. And I'm, I'm glad community notes did fact check here so here's just a 16 second clip of it and then we'll had uh, i'm a federalist in a sense because that's the federalist way no i didn't actually have a shutdown despite the fact that some people wanted to and some people didn't want to but we had some great governors the governors that did the best job were republican governors and they were the ones that didn't shut down yeah so him basically saying that shutdowns he just let everybody decide not actually the case it became the case later but he did there was a federal shutdown that he was a part of right yeah i mean it's it's a difficult question because like he definitely took credit for lockdowns as, as it points out here he did criticize when when some states locked down but was there a federal mandate to shut down no 
North Dakota never shut down. They never had a lawsuit that I'm aware of, of the federal government coming after them for shutting down. So it is, you know, it is good faith, bad faith. It's hard to say. I mean, it, but, you know, he definitely at times tried to take credit for the pandemic response. Yeah, when he felt actually, like it was actually let me correct myself because I, I actually misspoke. It's the credit aspect yes. is that he took credit for this stuff. Right. And he's trying to be like, I, I you know, it's kind of out of his hands. Yeah. I just let people decide, but he's, he actively was taking credit for these things. Yeah. And also he could have done more with Fauci. He could have not done everything with the cares act. Like there's a lot of things there that exist yeah. where he was actively critical of the people that were opposed to the ma- major spending, which I, I talk about with the Thomas Massey situation all the time. Like these were areas where I think he made blunders. Right. Yeah. And, th- and this is where like, if you're talking as a Trump supporter, most of the folks who are in that space, I think, recognize this and then say, yes, but... He was tricked. No, he was tricked or Which no one else would have done any different, <laughs> right? Everyone else is part... Like, you're in the swamp. You're going you're gonna to make mistakes. Mistakes happen. So, the, but he's the best guy we got. Totally understand. I think it's a rational position. I think right? it's a rational you position. you got to deal with the facts of your time, yeah. right? And that is that everyone's an imperfect candidate. So, yeah. Uh, one more point on the electoral stuff. Um, if you don't mind, which is uh, Michelle Obama might be the dim candidate. Have you guys seen uh, all this reporting? Uh, this no. is this started trickling up about three months ago, but there was a particular uh, the Democrats secret plan for Michelle Obama uh, to run big Mike uh, this <laughs> week. There was <laughs> did you really <laughs> did you just <laughs> did I do what? Wow. Wow. Uh, wow. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it, but so many buttons I want to push. <laughs> yeah, big, big, <laughs> big, big Mike's secret plan Ooh. for 2024. Meow, meow, meow. Um, I think Michelle Obama is a woman. But do you know? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not Joe status. I'm not Two like, words. I need evidence. Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> Two words. All right. So. Uh, this is another part of that, like the metagame, the minor game, like the thing that's happening in front of you versus the, what's going to happen behind the scenes. And I think uh, Democrats are looking for a way out of Joe Biden. Difficult to look at a guy who can't put on a jacket as your president. So we the, could be in that. Era. The, the only people that make sense to me out of known figures right now are Michelle and um, Newsom. They're the only people that make sense. Like, I can't think of who the bench is right now. We are getting very close. Like Democrat primaries are coming. Have right? to decide. So. But <clears throat> I did hear an interesting argument. Uh, well, and I suppose it doesn't it doesn't preclude this from, from being a possibility, but that uh, the Democratic primary passes. Then Biden says, oh, health issues. I can't continue. And then the Dems can just appoint whomever they want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Versus actually running someone that needs to be elected by the party. Yeah. Then they, then they bring forward a, a new person who they've probably been grooming behind the scenes a little bit. Like Obama was kind of getting groomed. He was getting a lot of, um, cause Obama had a very short stint in, uh, public life, but he was getting a lot of the passes of like, you get to be the speaker at the DNC convention. Right. And he's just like this no name person. I, I, I think that the parties kind of do this where they kind of el- try to start to elevate po- potential rising stars. Yeah. And I think that's what we saw in the 2020 election with a lot of these like Pete Buttigieg and, uh, the dude from Texas who the big gun control guy, I can't think of his name. These like young people yeah. who just didn't have that charismatic spark that Obama did. Beto O'Rourke. I Beto think. O'Rourke. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. who I'm thinking. Beta. <laughs> Beta. Beta. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, it's an interesting question and I will keep an eye on it when it comes as a major news story, but it is, it is out there. What are the Democrats going to do? How's that going to shake out? And if you want evidence about this sort of 
waiting till after the electoral process is over, over in order to actually put in who you want through a more authoritarian regime. Almost every state Supreme Court works this way. Explain. Especially true in Montana, and there's quite a few other states who have followed this pattern, according to people that I've spoken to and, and are engaged in this regularly, is that many Supreme Courts, basically, you either, you, you run for an election, uh, but then if you leave midterm, you're appointed by your governor. So what you do is you leave midterm so that that way someone else can be appointed into that position who then can run as incumbent and get incumbency advantages. Mm. This happens all the time in politics. This is, should not be a surprise to anyone who's fluent in how political decisions are made. So the idea that the Democrats might do this, especially the Democrat Party, which is the party of the superdelegate. It is the party of we have special people with special extra votes who get to wield more power. So absolutely. Could it be? But democracy, David. Yeah. Democracy, though. Right. So the idea that they could be flagging up Michelle Obama as a potential as they're trying to like gather like and kind of dipstick the um how much support she has we could be seeing that especially with uh videos like this one uh that we have of her donald trump is the wrong president for our country he has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job but he is clearly in over his head he cannot meet this moment he simply cannot be who we need him to be for us If you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. Now, a couple of things to note here. This was a video that she uh, presented at the Democratic National Convention. And when she's kind of threatening that things could get worse, that she is also the producer on a disaster movie, Mm -hmm. executive producer on a disaster movie on Netflix. So... Which I think I'm the only Ooh. one on this cast who has watched, actually. Yeah, I've watched that propaganda. It is. Thank you very much. Pre-programming as well. <laughs> what, what would you think about it? What was it? What was it about? Uh, well, the movie was called Leave the World Behind. Um, starred, oh, it was uh, Ethan Hawke and Julia Roberts. And uh, basically a disaster movie about a cyber attack that hits New York City. And then these two families are sort of uh, forced together from opposite racial perspectives a black family and a white family and they have to grapple with their their conflict their racial conflict most prominently uh to survive this kind of apocalyptic scenario where uh regular life is turned upside down and uh there's there's all sorts of you know different symbolism and imagery and stuff that's that's prevalent throughout we don't need to go into all of it unless we want to do like a real deeper dive into it. But, um, you know, it really does end up sort of framing certain groups of people certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the survivalist guy in the, in the movie played by Kevin Bacon is like very sort of, you know, comes off as sort of xenophobic and protectionist and like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here for my, my own and I'm not going to let you, you know, take our, our medicine. They go to him for medicine, right? Mm. And we're not going to give you what, what you need to survive because I'm looking out for my people. And, right. Um, anyway, it, it was very sort of fearful, fear-mongering, propagandistic sort of just around the whole idea that maybe, you know, a cyber attack is imminent. And that's sort of what I took from it as sort of this pre-programming perspective that like, oh, like something like this might be on the horizon. We should be afraid. 
mm-hmm. which you know maybe maybe it is maybe but it isn't if but. a cyber attack does happen on scale that would be very bad right it'd be, crazy. Oh, it'd be it'd be terrible for sure yeah <laughs> like we'd make terrible. our income on the internet so yeah every, every... we'd be on ham radio pretty quick we're, we? we're moving <laughs> we're moving to a completely different world if that happens um did yes. you guys this was just making me think because we're talking about media and influencing people did you guys see the uh, martin scorsese um is going to be making a uh, movie about jesus and they are making all the cast female they're gonna gender bend Jesus. So Je- wait, Jennifer Je- Lawrence, Jennifer has Lawrence has been Jesus. cast as Jesus Christ. Emma Stone is Judas. In Martin Scorsese's next movie, set to shoot later this year, it'll be a gender reversed modern telling of the biblical events set in Southern California. Oh my God, I do not want to watch that at all. Not even a little bit. I'll take the things society tiniest. doesn't need for twelve hundred dollars. I don't want to. Why? Why? I, I just saw like it, it, to be and to be honest. I mean, yeah, it comes from Verity, I guess. I, I was my initial That's thought was Variety. It's, just, it's, it's an American it's an English word. It's not how they say it in Canada, okay? Verity. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> oh, is that how you say that there, huh? <laughs> yeah. So he's making a movie, huh? <laughs> oh, pretty neat there. He's, he's on from, Verity. Yeah. Well, Emma Stone's playing yeah. Jesus oh, Christ oh, in the oh, next oh, movie. Oh, oh, oh. oh, oh I love her oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but it just kind of goes into a lot of our culture talk that we've had in recent episodes yeah. but i just i found that interesting wow um, jesus um, has been gender swapped yeah yeah well Christians jesus are not be pumped about apparently that, jesus was transgender <laughs> <laughs> a lot of long hair didn't anyway, teach so. you about that in sunday school did they huh? <laughs> <laughs> all right on to gary gensler the batman villain that currently runs the sec before we do that, I got to go throw up real quick. I'll be right back. <laughs> Let's take a Just break. Just kidding. I, I, I do need to take a break. break. I'm going to, yeah, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, where were we? Uh, we were just about to talk about Gary Gensler. So penguins are going mainstream. Gary Gensler has endorsed Bitcoin as a spot. No, ETF. no. He, he wanted to be very clear that this was not an endorsement of Bitcoin. He uh, tweeted is, that out. This means Bitcoin was actually originally designed by the CIA because the government has now endorsed it. So if you're... Well, no, it, it, <laughs> I just did not random look, look, BS look at, look at, if you want to see, if you want to see why that's disagree. not true, look at Elizabeth Warren and Gary Gensler's Twitter feeds. Mm, I they're think they're, they're like, they're not thrilled. Nah, they're man. not sad. Well, they're, like, no, they're, they're, they're not, they're not bombed. Happy. No, yeah, that sort of thing. That's Gar- sort of thing. The SEC was forced into this because of a court decision. Oh. They had to make this decision because the courts ruled that the, that the SEC was being so the ridiculous. courts were run by the Illuminati. Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah, Allegedly. Allegedly. But no, so, so precursor, I actually think that there's a lot of important context to the story because on Tuesday, Tuesday, the day before this all happened, Oh, it was probably the most hilarious fun I've had in like a 30 minute time slot ever. Um, so there's a lot of rumors going up to the, uh, the, uh, thing which happened Wednesday. Is it, is it Wednesday? Am I getting my dates wrong here? No, you're right. It was midweek. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So I believe on the 10th is when all the rumors were saying 4 PM Eastern to standard time, Bitcoin spot ETF is coming through. What that is, is there's a bunch of people they're putting a Bitcoin fund together. You can buy into the Bitcoin fund in the same way that you would buy into like a gold ETF, like on the stock exchange. Yeah, exactly. Not through like a crypto platform or anything. Yeah. You can go through your, uh, not your Vanguard account. 
they made it very clear that they're not allowing it. But anywhere else that you can, you have like your 401k or something, they pretty much are allowing you to have Bitcoin um, now. But what ends up happening is the SEC a day early at about 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I, I believe the exact tweet was at 2.11 p.m. for us, so 4.11. Um, they, they tweet out, the, and let me actually just pull up the tweet right here, that uh, it's approved. Coming from the official SEC account. Today, the SEC grants approval for Bitcoin ETFs for listing on, an, on all registered national securities exchanges. The approved Bitcoin ETFs will be subject to the ongoing surveillance and compliance measures to ensure continued investor protection. And then about 10 minutes later, Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, tweets out. Who's in a graphic below that, which is very interesting. If you're, not, if you're not watching, it literally shows the, uh, the USEC gov uh, twitter account saying today the sec grants approval to hashtag bitcoin and it has the whole you know twitter thing ets for listing all registered national security exchanges the approved bitcoin bitcoin ets will be subject to ongoing surveillance and compliance measures to ensure continued investor protection which sounds very government official it even has like a little graph that has a gary gensler quote and i can't read it what does it say well and it's uh the quote says inside of it uh today's approval enhances market transparency and provides investors with efficient access to digital asset investments within a regulated framework (laughs) chairman gary gensler whoever did this did it well and then so it's 2.2 million views on that this is this is when i took the screenshot which was about three minutes after this <laughs> so, love this, love so, this. So then, about ten minutes after that post comes out, Gary Gensler from his official account says the SEC government Twitter account was compromised and an unauthorized tweet was posted. The SEC has not approved the listing and trading of spot Bitcoin exchange traded products. So the market <laughs> just goes crazy volatile. Like, yeah, it's just like it, everybody's like, "What the hell is happening right now?" Right. Um, and Gary Gensler, he tried to put out, a, he tried to be like, X is security, all this stuff. All <laughs> tries these to blame things, it right? on anyone else. He tries yeah, to blame right. it on anyone else. Yeah. So, what you end up having, oh, and then you end up having Edward Snowden was hilarious. Oh, Edward Snowden. And Edward Snowden was so funny on this. Um, so, a lot, uh, uh, an old tweet resurfaced <laughs> here. U.S. Securities Exchange um, from them back in October. <laughs> Careful what you read source. on the internet. The best source of information about the SEC is the SEC. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> and Edward Snowden's out here. Jesus Christ, Gary, get your shit together. You had one job. I, uh, and, and then he tweets out, I tweeted this from the wrong account again. <laughs> because because anybody that's in crypto knows that um, knows that a very big and famous crypto account that goes by Zach XBT is Edward Snowden. This has uh, <laughs> this has six figure followers, and he and he is tweeting out an old uh, a screenshot of an old Gary tweet saying, "This is a reminder to secure your financial accounts as well as protect against identity theft and fraud. Remember to use strong passphrases or passwords. Set up multi factor." authentication keep account <laughs> alerts turned on hashtag cybersecurity awareness month so then so then zach xpt's edward snowden yeah. tweets out the exact same thing with that screenshot yeah. <laughs> so funny. because gary started being kind of like oh access security blah 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 and then x's safety team tweeted out exactly what happened and it turns out that our government agencies didn't even have two-factor authentication on <laughs> and in that there was no internal internal problems on twitter's end x's yeah. end and that um 
basically showcasing that it looks like the SEC got SIM swapped, which is a common phishing scam. Just a Tight. very common phishing scam. You get a bunch of information. Then you, it, you, it's kind of like a social hacking, social engineering. Then you go to the, you go to T-Mobile and be like, hello, I'm Gary Gensler. <laughs> right? Like, I, I guess that's something like that happened. And then, Wild. And then they got the, the SIM information for them to get into <clears throat> the Twitter account because there was no two-factor authentication. And also, if you're using two-factor authentication through um, nor like through a telephone number. That is how the most common way that this would happen. So even if they were, they probably would have gotten hit by this, but jeez, it's so our government agencies just got hacked easily and just trolled super and, and, hard and manipulated markets. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the an agency that is supposed to prevent from market manipulation enabled it enabled it wow should have enabled two factor authentication instead (laughs) come on gary yikes Yikes. but yikes (laughs) so i find it hilarious the government got sim swapped hilarious it's just so funny it's so juicy but then the next day so this raised a lot of speculation here is that um was this a tweet that was just supposed to go out the next day and it just got released early. Yeah, and then some intern has to like change up the tweet. <laughs> you know, oh, like, that's that's funny. Um, yeah, I don't think that's the case because the SEC account started liking a bunch of crypto related tweets <laughs> that day <laughs> when this was all happening. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that was the case. Like, like there was a speculation that maybe like somebody just failed to schedule the post on the right day. Sure, or something. Sure, I don't think that's true, but seems like a big oversight, um, even for just like a staffer who was in charge of the Twitter account, mm-hmm. but pretty important to have good control over the sec twitter account especially given that crypto is so twitter heavy like mm-hmm. and, and like tweets can move this market and that's a unique thing about the crypto space is that it well, in yeah. a lot of ways isn't subject to the same sort of regulations in a lot of ways that that you know traditional markets like the stock exchange are they can be moved very readily by uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or you know, news that things might be happening, or rumors that things might be happening, which is common for any like low market cap um, thing because there's just like less liquidity. Sure, um, there's like very common. Like it's it's much harder to move the price of gold because it's a ten ten trillion dollar market. Bitcoin right now is like eight hundred billion, or it's like close to a trillion, mm-hmm. so it's like one tenth of gold yeah. as total market cap. So when you have that, it's much easier to sway markets, especially when you have one of the probably one of the most important decisions coming from a regulatory like a regulation body here because if if this went a different way and they're like nope we're never doing it and we're banning bitcoin much well, different story imagine right imagine <laughs> if someone sure. hacked the federal reserve's twitter account and then said we're jacking interest rates up 20 percent. what would happen to the price of our gold? entire economy would go would go under <laughs> that is the sovereign individual thesis explain you have these enormous institutions that because of the internet are now vulnerable to singular actors with no standing military, no massive power, no ability to nuke anybody or, you know, shoot a blade shooting drone bomb sort of high tech, you know, destruction sort of thing can cause immense havoc just by having access to an internet and the knowledge uh, and capability and willing will to mess with somebody. So that's, that's the change in the logic of violence that we've experienced since the introduction of the internet that is reworking the relationship between governments and their people. Is that a good or bad thing? Great. If you, if you believe in individualism, it, I think it's, 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 it's a progression that we're moving towards. Yeah. It's, it's not, it, 
the observation itself isn't good or bad, right? It's yeah. just what it is. Um, your the interpretive layer that I would I would suggest is that anytime an individual can push back on a collective, that's probably a good thing. Uh, but there could be exceptions, right? Anytime an individual who's saying, "Hey, I really want to make my money on Bitcoin," and this guy's been literally, I mean, this guy's the worst actor. Gary Gensler embarrassing that guy is a great thing because he's been such a terrible actor on this stuff since he became SEC chair, and partly because of Elizabeth Warren and Biden and, and kind of the left wing's approach to the whole market of. Um, the new technology. There's a whole wing of senators and congressmen that have been trying to get him fired for like two years now. Well, to be clear, he was the guy in control during the whole Sam Bankman freed FTX scandal. He's also somebody like he's not ignorant to crypto. Um, He used to teach blockchain classes in the early days of Bitcoin at MIT. Like he understands the technology pretty well. His his classes are online. <laughs> I've 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 watched some of them. Um, like he's actually pretty intelligent, but also in his role, he's not allowed to invest in the stuff, which is oh. interesting. So you think he uh, might just be? No, I, I think I think that it's it's similar to like the Nikki Haley phenomenon. Like he's just he's going with the sources that are around him, right? Like I don't think it's necessarily that he's got this major vendetta against crypto. Um, I, I don't. I don't even think like Elizabeth Warren. Like, I, here's a tweet from her right now: The SEC is wrong on the law and wrong on the policy, which with respect to the Bitcoin ETF decisions. If the SEC is going to let crypto burrow even deeper into our financial system, then it's more urgent than ever that crypto follow basic anti money laundering rules. And then she obviously gets community noted saying the sec acted in accordance with to new circumstances brought up by the judge in the grayscale investments case uh, versus the sec um and this is admitted by the sec chair gary gensler and it's also like if you're actually anything these etfs are more subject to anti-money laundering laws than anything in crypto (laughs) like this is probably the for her side she should be like yes nice that's great because if you're going to be investing in crypto via or in bitcoin specifically via blackrock or fidelity you are you are putting your social security number and your identification all over that thing but to be clear though U.S. crypto exchanges do already require KYC laws, which are know your customer laws, which are a part of anti-money laundering measures. So it's not like people are evading being known when they're trading in crypto legitimately within the United States. If you're not using a VPN or trying to evade these measures, you're you're doing it by the same rules that you would if you were trading stocks. And this goes into the sovereign individual argument, though, too, is it's becoming increasingly difficult to actually regulate that. And these people are trying to maintain control over that because simple things like a VPN can get around American laws. Um, There's a lot of things in the crypto industry where you end up getting geo-blocked just because you're in the United States. Mm. So you, so like literally hop over to Mexico, hop over to Canada and you're fine. But mm-hmm. if you're in the United States, you can't do things. Not financial advice. Um, yeah. And, and, and but, but it's actually within the United showcases States. Showcases how lack of freedom we actually have when it comes to financing. Right. right? Fair like, point. Like I can go, I can go almost anywhere in the world if I wanted to with a VPN and have more freedom when it come in this industry than it, than I would in America something to think about, right? Right, and the perverse incentive. And, and honestly, Americans like Elizabeth Warren, who are supposedly out to you know protect us, right? Pushing investment to other countries in order to you know protect us when it actually just moves the wealth and prosperity that was possible through new technological innovation into other areas, other countries. Are members of Congress just insider trading through other countries? Are they just using VPNs? 
Is that, is that how they do it? They're like, well, if I do it through some guy I know in uh, Colombia. To, to be to be completely <laughs> honest, I actually think a lot of the insider trading stuff with Congress is overblown. I think that there's like a very simple Pareto di- distribution that exists here where you have a very small number of congressmen that are like Nancy doing Pelosi. exceptionally well. Nancy but most, most congressmen are like, just hovering around the S&P 500 like in, and when it turns to their actual gains and a lot are actually below <laughs> the S&P 500. So like you end up having some people that are doing exceptionally well, but it's not like everyone in Congress is, but, but that's the case with investing in general is but a is lot of people are But is there an overlay doing, with uh, information that those people have oh, that for other sure. congressmen don't? For sure. And especially with like friends and stuff like that's the insider trading. Mm-hmm. Stuff, Additionally, there, there are tons of rules around this and they aren't easy to get around, but do they get around them? Good question. I, I mean, we want to have a high standard of evidence for such a thing. I, I personally think that a lot of the calls for bans, banning insider trading is going to end up putting, I actually view it in a very similar way. I view uh, term limits where there's, it, it feels really good to say, but what it's ending, what's going to end up having happening is a much more, um, much more power distribution is going to end up going into the hands of lobbyists, uh, unions, things like that. It's just going to shift how things work. And I actually think that we should, we should continue to allow congressmen to trade because there should be almost an incentive for them to do better at their jobs. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) (laughs) that's an interesting perspective. Um, Like if you believe in the government, like if you actually believe in the thing, I'm an anarchist, I don't really care. (laughs) <laughs> but, but like, I think if you actually believe in government, you should be having more incentives for them. Like it's not necessarily to manipulate markets, but in order to, uh, um, dilute the power away from the unelected people, which is going to be the union people and everybody that we kind of hate. Okay. So if decision-making opportunity, uh, with respect to the financial gain that comes from having knowledge first, uh, starts with the, maybe the the entities that are closest to that information, which may be, let's say, defense contractors uh, or people within the Gang of Eight or something like know about a war that's going to happen, and that's going to boost military industrial complex stocks, mm-hmm. right? Um, if those people are allowed to act on that information, you're saying that 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 sort of makes them like a um, like a canary in the coal mine in some way, or like, how does that necessarily they're just, they're just gonna positively, how, how does that positively shift their decision-making towards something that's perhaps better for everyone versus just better for their stock portfolio? Well, most people investing are inside insider trading to some degree. It's such a vague term that it's not very, it's kind of difficult. It's very ambiguous because like, most people, if you're in the Black Rocks of the world or Vanguard or like any of these people, any of the name big corporate entity, they're all operating with insider knowledge. Everyone is. And it's like the Congress people are, are doing what they can as well. Everybody can, everybody's, everybody's trying to manipulate the markets. Everybody's lying to the, to the journalists, everybody to, to try to get the money to go up and down. It's, it's so ridden across the entire financial industry. I don't think that just banning uh, I don't think banning stock trading wholeheartedly really. Well, it's you're, not you're, just stock trading. It's it's insider it, trading. You, you have which to, is already illegal. Well, the the rule for for Congress people, right, is that they have to put their investments into a blind trust where they have no uh, intimate knowledge of what's being traded and what's not being traded within their portfolio. Is that correct? I think so. Blind Something trust like that. 
Because if they have, if, which, if, which, which then Nancy just gives it to her husband, right? Well, right. Because it's Paul Pelosi that's doing all. And the then trading. she goes home over dinner and says, "Oh, well, yeah, interesting. Sounds like we're going to be uh, bombing the Houthis today." Yeah, but so. like, what's to stop them from just continuing to do that? Like, like, are are you supposed to then ban all of their family from trading? Like, it, like if given senator, it's just like my second cousin's not allowed to trade now. <laughs> like, well, like yeah. how, where do we go? It, the whole thing doesn't actually like make sense on how the, the money manipulation. The better works. option would be to have a government so small, you can't manipulate the stock markets with the action of government. That's the only way around it. It's the same, same story yeah. with the term limits. You can't actually solve the problem of term limits unless you limit the government. The effort by the anti-federalists or by the anti-constitutionalists, like the people who are pushing back against the implementation of the Constitution in the first place, were the very people who are saying, the problem is that we're giving too much government authority to a centralized government, and this is going to eventually blow up into a larger government, and they were right. So So, what um, you're saying is you can't stop insiders from trading on the information that they have. Somehow, someone is going to benefit from someone knowing something that other people don't. The institutional knowledge matters, and I I should actually explain why I'm kind of against term limits, Um, because a lot of people are probably going to be like, Kyle's against term limits? What? That doesn't make sense. The reason for it is because I think I actually understand how politics works in these environments. When you end up having just constantly freshman senators come in or freshman congressmen they're they have no idea what the hell is going on around them they're, they're getting pulled in all these different directions from all these forces that they don't even understand because of like this lobbyist group that group that that group spending a bunch of money on packs you know like all, all these things right and it takes them several years to actually understand what the hell is going on so that they can actually do anything and if we're just like no nope, you only got four years in there it puts all of the power into the lobbyist hands into the union's hands the people that are that are those manipulative forces but in theoretically in a democracy if you believe in this mythology (laughs) um if you allow for a senator to exist for 40 years that person actually becomes a very powerful player now the problem is a lot of these senators that exist for 40 years are terrible right but what about the Rand pauls of the world don't you want him to be there for 40 years do you want him to have to retire because most of us no, and most people that listen to this right. podcast like, no. Ron, like Rand Paul, Ron Paul, you know, that type of thing, right? So uh, insider trading was actually banned in 2012 with the Stock Act. 78 members of Congress have failed to properly report their financial trades as mandated by the Stock Act since its implementation in 2012. The average uh, penalty is $200. Penalty for what? For, <laughs> for for violating the stock act. Wow, that's just a fee on your uh, on your on your uh, on your TD Ameritrade account. Yeah, so it's 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 a difficult question. Like it, the, the, obviously, people are following the perverse incentives, but what typically happens with insider trading is it's not the it's not you know the it's not the member of Congress that is going to be actually held accountable. It's going to be Martha Stewart or somebody else, right? It's going to be someone. In a in a very different set of circumstances, dealing with a very not with not even that much power to do things, right? Okay, so is this a question of uh, the justice system not being fairly applied, though? Because if Martha Stewart trades on insider information, uh, she's punished. But if Nancy Pelosi does, or if Paul Pelosi does, Nancy is not punished. Mm-hmm. That's that 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 doesn't seem like a fair enough argument because there are other, there are other problems within the context of that situation. I don't disagree with you though, mm-hmm. in your broader point, which is that senators and representatives 
could be allowed to trade on whatever information that they might have, but the government should be so small and, and, and more broadly, so uh, uninfluential based on its small size and scope that their information shouldn't actually impact the markets at all. At yeah, all. yeah, and that, and that was that's a, effectively the case of uh, in defending the undefeatable. Uh, Walter Block makes the case that insider training itself is action and economizing on knowledge. Yeah, right, and that you know what you want is a situation where you maximize um, knowledge spread uh, for markets to uh, operate efficiently. And when someone is the first person to get knowledge, like for example, the person who discovered that Exxon was actually bankrupt, he insider trade technically. Now, we don't punish him because what he did was actually benefit. He, like, used that knowledge. He put a bunch of, bought a bunch of putts That's against why Exxon and then released thing. the information and made a ton of money. Right? We don't punish that, but we do punish Martha, and then we don't punish Elizabeth Warren. Well, right? well and, and that, that raises the thing, too, is, like, you know, if, if you listen to this podcast, we talked about the, the, the likelihood of the spot Bitcoin ETF coming in. But, like, everybody, everybody in the crypto that pays attention and has been paying attention through the bear market completely knew that, like, I said on this podcast several months ago, January is when the spot ETF is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Not financial advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I said that. Um, and, it's, and it was very clear it's because Coinbase was getting all the, cus- the, the custody for all these ETF products. They're custodying, custodying most of it. And, like, that's all public information. It's just like, you're just operating on the information that's in front of you and sometimes it's private sometimes it's quasi public it's like like what does this mean like what information can you not trade on what can you what can you trade on like does it does it mean that somebody people in coinbase shouldn't be allowed to buy bitcoin because they know that they're custodying the stuff like you know like like where does this you know it's how do you manage all this stuff right a pretty humorous (laughs) anecdote around this is is something that bennett shared to our group chat which was uh the guy who who asked, uh, is it insider trading if I bought Boeing puts while I'm inside of the wrecked airplane <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where the door had flown off? <laughs> you know, like that's that's just smart thinking if if well if if you're uh, that guy but and you have the foresight to do that that's the question of banning insider trading it's ultimately a question of like is it wrong to know a thing and then operate on it for your financial gain well, remember silicon valley bank the guy cashed out like all of his shares a month beforehand <laughs> you're like he he knew that thing was going down yeah, yeah. <laughs> the question though is what responsibility does that guy have as a fiduciary of the no, interest of the investors the other than investors that. in the company that, no that's, that's a contractual that's actually law. a great point joe actually is because he does have a fiduciary responsibility to his shareholders <sighs> and that is a contract a contract that exists so but, what but res- he could be sued for that now right nothing keeps the, his um the stakeholders or the people he signed that contract with from suing him for failing his fiduciary responsibility additionally there's there i know there are there are active regulatory protections for fiduciary responsibility but you do have the contract law there which is the traditional way in which that was enforced so um that's the question the as usual in debates about when to use government the question is whether or not we should use it prohibitionarily meaning we, we establish a bureaucracy who then manages behavior, mm-hmm. or we should do it after there's been an injury where people enforce their rights using evidentiary and adversarial process of the courts. Which makes way more sense. Yes. Because trying to, t- trying to you know, front run all the possible wrongdoing that could go on is an absolute fool's errand. There's no way to do that fairly or, or justly, right? And all you're going to end up doing is, is, is prohibiting... Uh, things that might be actually good for a market, right? Right. 
And so, so in the, in this case, I think we should be looking at should we have Congress with the power to move markets or not? Like that's the more fundamental question. Mm-hmm. Should we have a separation between government and economy so that the government's just here to protect our rights? Or should we have one that manages the economy? If we had one that couldn't manage the economy, there would be no reason for them to be able to move markets with this way. Yeah. Right? If Bitcoin was always just a legal asset that you could own just like any other asset, rather than this weird, is it money? Is it an asset? Is it a stock? Is security. it a security? All this stuff. When obviously it's none of those things. It's what it is. Yeah. Right? But we got to put it into the framework designed in 1930, right? Because it's an insane process. And rather than evolve with any of that stuff, it's like a dinosaur, right? We're like dealing with dinosaur structures to deal with a digital age. And rather than dealing with any of this, the entire generation of leadership is just had their heads in the sand trying to keep it from ever being a thing like Elizabeth Warren. You know what I think we should do? I think we should have all members of Congress have like a public Robinhood account. And it's the only way they can trade. <laughs> and everyone can just like peg their account to Nancy Pelosi's account. Well, we already have that. That's already a tool. What's the, what's the tool called? the Pelosi tracker or whatever. Yeah. 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 There's, there's yeah, all these got tools banned on Twitter though. Yeah. The Pelosi tracker. No, got no, banned they're, on they're financial tools that allow you to automatically buy whatever a range of government officials. Buy. Well, yeah, but like days after it, when it becomes oh, public knowledge yeah. via some sort of disclosure via right. the sec, it should right. be instantaneous. I, I, I'm, when <laughs> the trade is made, you can make the same exact trade. I, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure somebody has an index fund for that. Um, it's the same thing like Jim Cramer. There's an, there's a whole index fund for just, uh, the doing, inverse Cramer. Yeah. The inverse Cramer index fund, which is just, uh, <laughs> which I am more than convinced that, uh, that Jim Cramer is totally a tool that is meant for market manipulation as he's kind of just retired on a show kind of a thing Yeah, where, like I, I think that it is just a very clear. It might even be an unspoken agreement that exists, <laughs> dude. Because this is this is how markets work. Like like I'm not kidding. This is how markets work and how traders operate. Yeah. Where uh, where when he says something, everybody that's privy does the opposite. And and I think that he is like a purposeful tool for that, dude. To send market signals. The inverse Kramer ETF mm-hmm. does very well. This there's, this morning he there's was there's a like, meme, dude. There's a meme. I gotta say this. I I, I think uh, I got shown this like a couple of days ago. Where it's like. It's a meme of, of Jim Cramer, like, you know, some nice photo of him. And it's like, what a nice asset you have. It would be a shame if I spoke positively about it. <laughs> um, so true. In, in this ETF stuff, Jim Cramer has changed his mind about Bitcoin seven times in the last like 12 hours. <laughs> like, 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 like I'll just pull, I'll pull his, uh, I'll pull his uh, tweet. Jets game. Uh, he's, he talks about a lot of other stuff, apparently. Um, bonds. bonds rallying like oh, oh no no go up six wait, hours wait wait bonds rallying like crazy now go up above the ads here calling this bond rally unprecedented yeah just really can't. oh man <laughs> but uh but yeah top this is not the etf it is a trust uh nobody he like he's he sends fud and then he's like major bitcoin top is a in bitcoin asset. yeah major top in bitcoin just this morning like i i know i know i tweeted back at him saying that i love him because he was calling the bottom of bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> but, but like just this morning he was yeah. saying that now he's right. like top you know it's like yeah. it's crazy classic <laughs> classic kramer Jeez. just doing gym stuff all right, I want to talk about our last topic, and we'll do this yeah, one quick because sure. it's two hours, 20 minutes in. So the Biden administration, I got, a, I got a little chart so we can visualize real quick on the notes here, Kyle. The Biden administration has decided to directly, now we've been funding a war of genocide against the Houthis in Yemen for quite some time. Going all the way back to the Obama administration, we talked about a little bit. We really got to do a long-term breakdown because it's a classic example of how a long-term U.S. security commitment 
has created a series of perverse incentives that have corrupted American democracy in this really pernicious way uh, that um, really has put us head over heels in a strange place um, with this uh, with this particular situation where we've been saying, hey, Saudi Arabia, you can continue your war and we'll do it by proxy um, over the last, you know, God, how long has it been since the Bob administration? Six years? 12 years, 10 years. I mean, I blacked out over eight years. Anyways, very long time. We've been doing this bombing and blockade campaign before. And just to remind everybody before the situation in Gaza, uh, it was the number one like world problem, right? When it comes to everyday people being killed by a government. Um, And that was the bombing of the Houthis by the Saudis on our behalf, right? Well, not on our behalf. That's not right. Funded we by, were fueling the jets. By, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit even more than that. We were training the pilots on the jets. We were um, repairing the jets. Uh, we were using our our, our sea craft uh, to support their landing uh, and things like that. So it's, well, and and going to the Obama administration too was also the sanctions that were involved, which was like starving out the the um, the Yemeni's economy. Um, the global community told them that hey, you guys should hyper focus on just coffee that'd be cool you guys should just do that and then we put sanctions on them after and like 80 percent of their economy was coffee so they had like no food and everybody just started starving right and and obama said in order to placate the saudis this is why we must do this right because they were ticked off about the iran deal right so they they didn't like obama's iran deal because they want to go to war with iran to keep them from being a competitor across the middle east so um, because he was making peace with Iran, we had to get involved in the genocide. So we have been doing this in there for all this time. Now with the conflict in Israel, there have been several attacks near boardings of uh, U.S. and other ships uh, that are moving through the Red Sea. Now this is the area going from the Mediterranean across uh, the, what, what canal am I thinking of here? In Suez. Egypt? Suez Canal. Um, into the Red Sea and then out by the Arabian Peninsula and into the Indian Ocean. So with that little area there, you see like the extra stripes. It is a tremendous amount of goods passed through that area, Um, but not just American goods, important to know. So we don't like piracy um, unless we're the ones doing it as we've true this podcast. Based. Uh, Captain Biden. (laughs) Based. So the... um, this is, this is a response to that. Now, one of the questions that have come back from that is you have a substantial congressional pushback of people from Congress saying, hey, uh, where's the congressional authorization? The, the, US Supreme, the U.S. Constitution requires a declaration of war before the president can go to war. This is an act of war. Where is it? Uh, and pretty much the, the debate now is just that. You know, is, it, um, is this a U.S security interests that would trigger the War Powers Act of the 1960s or not? And is this just a policing action or something like that? Or is this part of the war on terror? Um, the The Biden administration has been a little unclear about where they're exactly going to land in their argumentation. They probably don't want to really come out with anything until they actually have to defend something by law um, in a court. So that happened. That did indeed happen. Today. It's just... I feel bad for Yemen. Like I, I remember back in the day when we initially started the uh, war under Obama. I remember sitting in my office and my interns were outside and me just like pulling up a news story and being like, 
we're we're at war with Yemen. And my interns used to make fun of me, fun of me for it <laughs> because because they just heard me screaming that from the, <laughs> from my office. <laughs> right, and, and and so it just goes to show you just how much of this, if it is indeed just that we are doing this in order to appease the Saudis. What that means, like how much does oil movement from the Arabian Peninsula determine things across the globe, including U.S. military expenditures? That's incredible. That's insane. Additionally, that like going around the Horn of Africa adds a lot of miles, right? So it's a lot of money. So how much is this just driven? How much do you, and this is the question, Joe, how much do you want your foreign policy to be driven by the question of how you should get cheap goods? Interesting question. Interesting question. How many people would you be okay with dying because of a foreign policy driven by that? Well, I, I don't like people dying. First and foremost. So. Wow, controversial. Yeah, I know. Hot take. Hot opinion. take. <laughs> hot take. I, I, I want to be clear. I've always been opposed to genocides. I want to be clear. 100%. The people. <laughs> okay. Wild. So uh, where do we go from here? What's, what's next on this saga? <sighs> That's about it, right? I, I mean, it's really early to say we don't have any like congressional pro- official pushback, resolutions, stuff like that. We can cover it if it comes up. But otherwise, you know, it, it's a way to think about it is it's not a new story because we've had continual warfare in the Middle East for 24 years now. Um, and just seeing this is another chapter of that is a way to see it. But you can also see it as a new step, right? Where, you know, the president's pretty much unilaterally saying, hey, if it affects global trade, it's enough for us to just get interfered with, just jump into the middle of, um, you know, that's not new in a lot of levels too. So it also is like, is this news? Well, you know, <laughs> it's well, just a difficult thing to say. Like, it's like, yeah, pretty par for the course, I guess. Right. right. What is yeah. the overall death toll? But we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be thinking in terms of the soft bigotry of low expectations, right? Um, we should have a standard for our U.S. foreign policy that isn't, well, whatever keeps us the, the cheap goods flowing. You know, because that that then you kind of are a participant in a genocide, whether you like it or not. So yeah. there's some interesting stats here. Um, the estimations. So between 2015 and, tw- and 2022, um, they estimate 377,000 people in Yemen have died due to all of the foreign conflict. And mm. 60 percent of that actually is coming from the sanctions <laughs> that mm. were put on because, like, you can't just eat coffee that you can't live off just coffee because yeah. that's pretty much all they had. I beg right? to differ. <laughs> I can and I have. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> oh it's really dark when you think about it. Of this, I'm more of a medium roast kind of guy. A little whole starvation blockade going on. Um, yeah, <laughs> two thirds of the population of Yemen, which is 21.6 million people, are in need of dire assistance. Is the estimate estimations here? Um, death death toll in Yemen's war since 2015 reached 100,000. Yeah, I, uh, overall, a lot of the estimations I've seen is about a million people probably total in all this since the Obama administration's kind of initial stuff in the 2015 time. And so note that, that we will freak out and do all this billions of dollars of spending in order to stop the war in Ukraine because of that. We won't do it for Azerbaijan. And we're, not gonna, and we're actually going to come on the side of the bad guys in terms of Yemen. Well, and a, and a lot of for the conservatives here to, to complain about something, I'll give them some red meat here um, to maybe get them more interested in the subject is a lot of this has to do with Hillary Clinton's uh, um, manipulation of elections in uh, in Yemen back when she was secretary of state. They straight up were like propping up 
uh, Saudi sock puppets. Like th- there was an election where there was one guy on the ballot and they're like, yes, democracy. <laughs> you know, like, yes. uh, and then, and then that guy got really upset um, later on and just kind of joined with the rebels afterwards. And, and took all the stuff that so like we tried to like overthrow one guy we propped up another guy we gave a bunch of weapons then the guy that we propped up ended up turning on us and just took those weapons and joined with the rebels it's like it's a whole story there during the hillary clinton like this is back when libya was going on with gaddafi Mm. and all this stuff like prior to the 2015 era benghazi Um, yeah whole thing so the question is whether or not uh, and, and ultimately looking at this narrow topic as what should be the policy response to Houthis attacking ships of all kinds that are running from Europe, the Mediterranean over to the Indian Ocean? What should we be doing about that? Well, before that the U.S. decided to get involved here, there was an increased amount of private security to protect these ships. Um, That seems to me like that seems like a rational response to piracy is privateers, right? Um, The can you can you explain that? a little more thoroughly privateers like what's or just just private sailors who are there to protect ships private pirates. okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so like they're a all, they're all private. Pri- private security <laughs> so, yeah. so like a blackwater type kind of yeah. agency boarding these ships and protecting them from keep attack. in mind the houthis are probably equipped by saudi's geopolitical opponent um iran but they're not like they're not the russian military right they're not like a giant military force they're rebels Right. So these are dudes with RPGs and dudes with like MKs. They're not, they don't have like battleships and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. And a, a lot of, so much of foreign policy, uh, I think people don't really fully conceptualize this is just mercenary work. Like mercenaries flock to this region because there's a lot of money in it. Um, people, they're just following incentives. Right. And then they're just, they're getting paid and they're, they're making decisions of like, well, how many men am I going to get killed in this? If I end up taking this contract, you know, and they're, they're making business decisions and like, we don't see mercenary stuff over here because we're not a region dominated by conflict, but mercenaries are all over the place when you're, we're talking about the middle East. Additionally, it's our more historical way to solve a problem. Letters of Mark and reprisal. Just, you know, just let's, let's, let's pretend for a moment that since 2000, Oh, gosh, it would probably be about 2012 um, to 2016 or 2015. There was largely a non-interventionist policy in this area. And U.S. wasn't involved in Saudi and Yemen elections and all the like local politics and all the minutia with the, with the intelligence boys and all that kind of stuff. And imagine for a moment that just out of the blue, these pirates started attacking us. What would be the policy response? Well, you could respond militarily, but expensive. Or you could just issue a letter of marker reprisal, say, hey, if anybody wants to take these out, Here's 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 two million dollars. Seems legit. You know, that's that's we've responded both ways. We've responded to piracy historically, both that and we responded like where we created the Marines, the uh, halls of Montezuma and stuff like that. Or we use an actual military to go take out a foreign adversary that was doing piracy. Mm. I'm not criticizing actually stopping piracy. I'm criticizing just like the, you know, war on terror response to it. And the we kind of created the situation by being meddlesome uh, on Saudi Arabia's behalf in the first place. And then secondarily, like not pushing like a lot of people asked for Bush failing to push for a Palestinian peace process because this wouldn't be happening in the first place if we didn't have the Palestine issue in the in the beginning in the in the first place, Mm. because this only took up. They've been having this war in Saudi Arabia and Yemen for a very long time since 2015. 
if they weren't like, why are they only attacking now? It's because of Palestine. Sure. Because so. of the recent flare up in conflict. Yes. In the region. Yep. Yeah. So, and it's to get attention to it. It's to put pressure on it. It's to get people to care about the plight of the Palestinians. If that was taken off the table, this wouldn't be here. I mean, it would be here, but it would be here. It wouldn't have the same dynamic. The United States seems to have spun up a pretty sizable response. And I, I forget what the operation is called. Um, Prosperity Guardian, I think. Why hasn't that been effective? Based. Based. <laughs> Prosperity Guardian. Why hasn't that been effective? Like, why has the quote unquote greatest military in the world not been able to, especially with coalition partners? And I'm not exactly entirely sure who, who those are, but, you know, like regional powers. Uh, why have we not been able to like protect these shipping vessels in the Red Sea? How how are we allowing rebels to do what they're doing? It, it might be that it was just too late, right? They they just weren't in position to be able to do so. If you remember that a lot of lot of the battle the battleships and stuff like that were actually deployed to the Mediterranean and they just weren't well positioned to do the protection. It does take time to move these sorts of things around. I don't know if they can actually go through uh, the Suez Canal. There's dimensions questions there. I don't know if a you can move a carrier through that. I just don't know. Didn't mm-hmm. yeah? Didn't we just move like a ton of our stuff outside of Israel, like in the Mediterranean, because of everything that was going on? Yeah. So, so you we, think we'd be probably like massively to allocated resources, though. Like, but I imagine that's kind of what led to this: is that there were a range of attacks yeah. over the last two weeks, and now the policy response is coming, just because it does take time to move this kind of stuff around and to do so in a safe way too. You don't want to overextend yourself and, and find yourself in a bad situation. Oh yeah. Heavens no, we would never want to overextend <laughs> the United States military. Yeah. Or just around ask, the globe. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you got to wonder about these carrier groups. Like they can level many countries. So I don't, I'm very curious about what the threat level is from a Houthi pirates. I mean, what is overextension? Like a thousand bases? Is that probably where <laughs> we're overextended? I don't know. Yeah. Like is that 120 plus countries. Or, I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, we still got some leeway. If, if it's a thousand, we got some leeway. Yeah, we got room. Yeah. We, got, yeah, some, yeah, we got some room for... It's like, we're the greatest president. We're the greatest country on the planet. We can't possibly be overextended. No. No. It's just a matter so. of believing. So I don't know. Like, was the response... Could have been faster if there was more foresight? It's hard to say. I, I, I don't know. It, it, we, there was a lot of predictions. If you remember in October, of fear of this growing into a, of a regional battle. Right, where you have uh, Hezbollah in the north of Israel, as well as you know the fight over you know between Egypt and and you know the shutting down the Suez Canal as a part of like the pawns going on, um, uh, to how is Saudi Arabia and Iran going to relate to these things and 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 play these games? Um, not to mention the kind of the more neutral now neutral states due to the Abrahamic Accords. How are they going to respond, and how that was going to either push towards? you know, uh, the same sort of like machinery of Armageddon that we saw in World War One, where you have initial domino falls and a lot of other people fall. And then before you know, you have a regional, if not worldwide war. Well, well, if you think about it too, like the, think about Western block versus Eastern block of where everything's happening right now. It it seems like everything is just like, there's like, if I could draw a red line down here, I, I could like divide exactly where that where everything is right now it's like you have like a red line that exists right here if you're following my mouse watch where you cut through ukraine here buddy yeah it's muddy in ukraine the, the line is confusing right now yeah, it's yeah. it's a gray zone at the moment yeah and then it comes down you got like eastern turkey it kind of cuts through eastern turkey it's a little weird go, Azerbaijan go, through there goes yeah. around syria, syria yeah. comes back up or over iraq mm-hmm. has iran 
So like, like there's a little, it's all muddy. They got to move. Everybody's fighting over a red line in this region right here. Iran sits over here. Iraq sits over here. Syria is confusing. They've been trying to get Syria for a while. There's probably, we're probably in store for another gas attack soon. Um, <laughs> so, right. I'm, I'm sure Assad will gas his own people um, totally legitimately again on the third time here. He'll get it. He'll get them this time. Dude, it smelled like, um, it smelled like gas to me. It smelled like saran gas. Yep. <laughs> it's, but like, so like there's a, there's a red line there that, that everybody, everybody has to defend right mm-hmm. so that's the that's the question is it like a one way to see it isn't east versus west it's a little complicated when we talk about india and get things more into asia but i do yeah, think there, i think you see that line. as a battle there's line that goes on there yeah for sure anyways that's just something to let you guys know about that continues we should have adam on here we could talk about it some more sometime adam soon coming it. at you soon guys any other thoughts before we close up? Hey, you guys, it was a good one. I'm sorry, my energy's low. I'm like still feeling like garbage. We're all you look sorry, and guys. sound great, <laughs> Grandpa. Yeah, not good. I don't want to go outside. It's negative twenty out there. Yeah. yeah. How it's, cold it's is it where you there. live? <laughs> Let us know in the comments how cold it is where you live. I guarantee you, it's not as cold as where it is here. Because listeners it's from South Africa, they're going like into the summertime right now. Minus seventeen degrees. Yeah, baller, man. Yeah, if you live in South Africa and you want to host the podcast, you know, and have us down for a little trip. <laughs> I will snowbird down to South Africa to do the podcast. I mean, do we got any Saudi money that wants to fund uh, podcast operations? Let's if get you it. are a Saudi prince and you want to fund the world's best independent news commentary show, get into our DMs. <laughs> or you can just give us $9 a month on Substack. Let's do or a... That. Let's do a podcast on a pirate ship pod on a pirate ship i wow. love it wow. i love it I hey love let's branding. let's do it we'll re yar yar <laughs> will be the Houthi reaction <laughs> oh god <laughs> okay <laughs> that's enough trouble for one day thanks for watching joe sheehan david Rand, kyle mack bennett's not here today screw that guy see y'all later Masai. thanks for tuning in to human reaction Help us fight internet censorship by liking, commenting, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with your friends. To find us around the internet, visit linktree.com slash human reaction pod. And remember, apparently Jesus was transgender. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of long hair. Didn't teach you about that in Sunday school, did they? (laughs) Huh?